And now, introducing a man who gave me every opportunity to make a name for myself in Baltimore sports. A man who I will forever be grateful to. A man who I'm proud to call my friend. He is Glenn Clark. Very sweet. We need more me, for sure. Definitely need more me. Probably the gain. Yeah, let's bring that up. Let's bring the... Yeah, hello. Good morning. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Um, Maybe not that much me. Maybe we went a little too far. I don't know. I don't know. We'll check. We'll be all right. Very sweet of Paul. It's Paul's final day. We're getting things worked out. There you can have those headphones, and you can work from there. Um, Friday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. Today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. 61 self-service kiosks in the FanDuel Sportsbook. For you to get your bets in, and they're open 24-7. So no matter what it is that you're betting on, you can bet it in the FanDuel Sportsbook. And, of course, all the big events that are coming up, PGA Championship the rest of the weekend, all the NHL and NBA playoffs, as well as the Indianapolis 500, lacrosse championship, whatever it is you want to reserve your spot right now. The Rolando romero Javante Davis fight, UEFA Champions League final. Reserve your spot for all of these events by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. Coming up on the program today, in a few minutes, we're going to go to Norfolk. Pete Mishu is the play-by-play voice of the Norfolk Tides. He's been watching Adley Rutschman, who's still not a Baltimore Oriole. We'll talk about it. He's also, of course, seen uh, Grayson Rodriguez and others, so we'll talk about uh, everything that Pete Mishu has seen this season at Norfolk. Later on in the morning, we will check in with our friend Donna Brothers, who uh, didn't even get to do the uh, the post-race interview uh, at uh, the Kentucky Derby because uh, Rich Strike was acting up a bit. We will check in with Donna Brothers ahead of Preakness tomorrow. And later on in the program, my buddy Greg Rosenthal will join us. Of course, Greg from uh, around the NFL, NFL Network, NFL.com. And uh, also you hear him as part of the wildly popular Courts of Thunder podcast, which is back. The French Open preview episode is available right now. We'll talk to him, I guess, a little bit about football, though I don't even know what people care about in football right now. So we'll talk far more about the uh, French Open, which gets underway on Sunday. I, I don't know what happened. I got a little bit of a tickle in my throat today. I don't know what's going on there. I got like a. Uh, it's weird. It's it doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel like allergies. Like it feels different. It feels more like I just like my throat hasn't woken up yet this morning. Like it just hasn't come and joined me. To do this show. Like, it's uh, it's like my brain's here, my body's here, my throat's just sort of sitting back in bed like, eh, it's a, it's a Friday. We don't really feel like that. You got a, a, a little bit of a Phoebe buffet when she had a cold. My stinky shoes. Yeah, but it's it's not even that. It's like, I, like it's I'm strained to talk. Oh, it hurts. It doesn't, it's not, it's not pain. It's I have to put in more effort. Huh. You like think, I'm, you think your mind is trying to save your voice for Preakness tomorrow? So no, when you're no, scre- no, no, you're no, screaming at the horse. No, I know exactly what it is. He's just choked up because it's my last nah, day. That's probably what it is, Paul. It's a good he's point. He's reclaimed. It's Griffin, of course, who will be taking over on Monday. Um, like I, it, it, when I'm saying we needed more of me, it might not be Griffin's fault. It might have been my own fault. Like I just, I feel like I'm having to put in more effort for less voice today and i don't know how to explain that and i don't much care for it it might be related you know I've, we've got a we got a problem going on in my house uh for those of you paul you and mrs valley are thinking about uh, uh starting a family at some point correct mm-hmm. we're, we're taking the first step towards that we're getting yeah. our puppy today there you go um 
what I, what I tell you, it's glorious. Everything about it is glorious. For example, right now, we have to monitor our four-year-old's poop. Oh, nice. Every time he poops, we have to chart what it looks like. And I mean, we have to take a picture to chart what his poop looks like because he's been having a couple of gastrointestinal issues of late. So anytime somebody says, what's it like being a, a, a father? Oh, it's glorious. I'll tell you, there is nothing better. I know so much about poop. I have learned so incredibly much about the differences in what poop looks like over the last couple of days. I got to tell you, I'm starting to worry about my own poop. I'm starting to, I might start checking my own, being like, hey, maybe I got some problems here. I, uh, I didn't get as much, because of that, I'm running a little bit behind. We also, uh, last night was kickball night, and I got to tell you. We play in the low level of the kickball league because we're old. We're some old Fs playing in the kickball league. I don't know how the, the team that we were playing against, I'm pretty sure, was Arsenal. I'm reasonably certain that we were taking on Everton in the kickball league last night. And uh, our friend um, Gabby from WBAL, Gabby uh, DePaula, was on the other team. And I saw her, and I'm like, wait, are, you guys are good, aren't you? And she's like, yeah, we're good. We haven't lost yet. I'm like, oh, F. <laughs> like, oh, F. Uh, you saw the score last night of the uh, – I don't know. Uh, it was getting some traction on, on Twitter. Indiana and Iowa played a baseball game yesterday. The final score was 30-16. to 16. Oh, wow. I'm not kidding about that. That was the actual final score. Are we sure it wasn't their spring football No, game? I'm certain it was the final score of the Iowa-Indiana baseball game. And I don't think our kickball match last night was as close as that. I'm pretty sure it was far. It was more like thirty-seven to five or something along those lines. How are you as a kickballer? Uh, I'm very good. So my uh, a lot of like an uh, kickball naturally, a lot of dudes will just go up there and try to kick the crap out of the ball, kick it as far as they can. That leads to a lot of flyouts, mm-hmm. a lot of that going on. So I don't even attempt to kick the ball as far as I can. I simply attempt to drive it into the ground towards the hole between shortstop and third, or if they're trying to cover that more towards the middle, depending if there's a runner on base, I am an on-base guy. Uh, I am the, I am Kevin Euclid, if you will. Uh, you're, you're the Tony Gwynn of kickball. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I'm better. Let's just be honest about <laughs> that. I'm I'm better. Um, so I went three for three last night. Like I was fine, but we didn't need singles hitters last night. We needed we needed some extra base hits to be mixed in, and uh, I'm just not that guy. That's not my jam. And and one of them, Gabby was pitching, and she literally turned to her middle infielders, and she's like, hey, you're leaving a huge hole up the middle. And I was like, ah, oh, they are, because they didn't move. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to try to kick it right there. So I did, but I got under it a little bit, attempting to kick it right there. And so it was hanging in the air, and I'm like, oh, crap. And then I realized, like, the hole was even better. There was nobody coming to get that ball. They played me so far back. They clearly did not get the memo that I am not swinging for a home run. Mm-hmm. They played me so far back. That it was it was a pop up that just hung in the air for forever and dropped easily because there was nobody coming to get it. So like I scored Jorge that Mateo's one. Like Mateo's RBI single yesterday. You could almost say it was like that. Uh, uh, Paul's preposterous prop did not hit. Close. Close. The Orioles did win. They did win, and there was a walk off homer in the ninth inning, but uh, it was not for Austin Hayes. He went homerless and hitless. Bastard. Um, well, that wouldn't have helped you in any way. <laughs> Getting a hit would not have helped you whatsoever in your prop. I did not hit a single prop bet. I'm so sorry. How many did you play? Um, well, I mean, what do you mean? Did you, oh, do you mean during your run? D- during during, during your run, run of yeah, weekend your, at pre- your preposterous prop. There is one, I believe, that's... 
the Dart World Championships. Oh, has that not happened yet? Or was is it the Dart World I, Championships? I, I, I don't. Oh, believe. I don't remember. How would I remember? I don't believe you they've keep happened track of yet. These things. All right. Well, you, let me, let me know. Inform me. It, you won't get anything for it, but uh, you know, a nice thumbs up, a, a verb, a, a verbal nod, if you will, will be about all that you will get in that scenario. Orioles did indeed win 9-6 over the Yankees, so for one final time, we allow him to tell us. After this, we just stop caring about the Orioles, frankly. There just will be no Orioles coverage whatsoever on this show. One final time, Paul will tell us, did something matter? We give him 60 seconds. He's our one-minute man, Paul Valley. Uh, it mattered that the Orioles were playing some close games ever since Austin Hayes came back, and they finally got into the win column against the Yankees, who right now have the best record in baseball. So it's not—it's no small feat to pick up a win. Back and forth game, Bruce Zimmerman, arguably his worst start of the year, he gave up five runs, although two scored when he was no longer in the game. The ERA jumped from about two point seven to about three and a half uh, with that performance. But Anthony Santander, the bat starting to heat up. Uh, he went three for four, of course, with the walk-off three-run homer last night and the two doubles, uh, and also Trey Mancini had. Two hits. He's leading the American League in hitting this month, and he's second and on base percentage. So both of those guys are heating up, and it matters because they may be your two trade chips. Now you're probably not going to get a ton for them, um, or they could be extension candidates. More likely for Trey Mancini because they're hitting well, and no but no outfielders in the minor leagues are tearing the cover off the ball right now. So and they, and in Santander's case, he's still young. So the Orioles get a win, nine to six. Um, Really what matters is that they got back in the win column and they could be getting hot at the right time. Um, I mean, they've won one game. I don't know about getting hot. Well, but but <laughs> but they, they've come back in each of the last three games. They made these games close, okay. and they're, I, get, they're getting some good players back this, this week. Well, I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's, that's fine. Look, I, a couple of thoughts that I have about this. One, to, to what you said about Mancini and Santander, it's tough. There, there's no trade value in, in Mancini. And no. I say there's no trade Mancini – there's you could take something for the sake of moving him and again if you've decided you're not going to keep him around that's the argument is just take whatever it's going to be but it, there's no actual value in Trey Mancini mm-hmm. for anybody else as we've said a million times there's plenty of value here because of who Trey, Man- Trey Mancini is and there's the argument that you could use a a clubhouse leader type for this next group of guys and Trey Mancini could do that Santander is interesting because he offers like a little bit more because of his arm. You mentioned, you know, he's not he's not young, young, but he's twenty seven. I mean, mm-hmm. like, they're still under team control. There's there's a reason why somebody might say, uh, again, there's always going to be a limit. There's going to be a limit to what it is that you can get for one of these types of guys because for the most part, this is not what teams are missing. They don't put a premium on. Kind of positionless guys. Santander's a little bit less positionless only because he has a strong arm. Only because somebody would look at it and say, hey, that might be an upgrade over the guy that we would send out there because of his arm. I'm not trying to oversell that. I'm not trying to make him Vladimir Guerrero or something like that. But, you know, there's there's a little something there. He's a very good right fielder. He's a he's definitely a plus right fielder. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. And specifically, somebody would say that's an oxymoron to be a plus right fielder, right? Like it's the position that you least need coverage. Somebody's got to play it. I understand that, but everybody's got one. Everybody's yeah. got somebody that can play right field. The only thing that would differentiate Anthony Santander from the guy that you have playing right field is your guy might not have his arm. 
right? Mm-hmm. You might very well have a guy that can hit a little bit and do all the things that you want to do and can cover right field fine. But the arm could separate that a bit. Whereas Trey Mancini doesn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't put him out there and say he is a plus over the guy that you have. Right. Um, and Santander, you could. If he can continue to hit consistently, maybe. Maybe you could get something. The argument about extending him is has always been intriguing to me because mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel like it would cost you all that much. This goes back to the what is the market thing. I don't know what the market is for Anthony Santander, and especially how many years until free agency? Uh, he's got two years left of team control. Especially if you're willing... I think after this year. ...to give him a little bit more money right now. I, I don't... I don't see how that's a bad thing, and particularly if what you're doing isn't really going all that long term, but instead maybe right now giving him four years, Mm -hmm. which gets him two extra years of money, only puts him into his early 30s. I don't see how that's a problem, and I can't fathom it costing you all that much. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I haven't investigated this wholly. It's not been my top priority to figure out what an Anthony Santander extension would be. The question of, is he blocking someone? The name that come, would come up is Stowers. No, Stowers has not hit well so far this season, but he's still very much a part of the plan to some extent. The argument would be, well, you can solve that. There's always a spot available for someone. Mm-hmm. And whether that means that someone's got to go play a little bit more first base, whether that means that someone's got to DH a little bit more, you can solve this problem somehow. And if you were to extend him, you're not extending him for twenty million dollars a year. At most, he's what a twelve, fifteen million dollar player. At four sixty mo- is what came to mind for him. Right, four sixty was the number that jumped if, out. If he's playing well, but then you have a guy like Stowers or Newstromer in the future, Colton Cowser knocking on the door, and they're ready to come up, uh, then that's not a, a, a for a team that's looking to add yeah. somebody to a contender. Yeah, that's I mean, not a lot of money. They'd probably be willing to take it on, but again, you're still not going to get like there's just never going to be a much. You can't, you can't change it. It's never going to be much. In fact, there'd be probably more trade value now just because of the team control than there right. would be after you signed into a contract. Right. Um, obviously, we all know what the story really is in relation to the Orioles. It's the guy who continues to not be here. Uh, Dan Connolly wrote at The Athletic that you know he thought today was the favorite when he wrote his piece, what, two days ago? And it almost certainly is not today. Maybe we'll all be wrong, and there'll be some surprise. Again, the insanity of that is almost overwhelming. Maybe we'll prove to be wrong, and this afternoon there'll be an announcement that Adley Rutschman is here. I don't know why that would be. That's crazy that they wouldn't take advantage of pre-promoting something like this, but I just have to point out that everything is possible until it's not possible. My... My reaction to a couple of things. One, in that same story from Dan Connolly in The Athletic, he says that he is to understand this has nothing to do with the Super 2 situation. And that's why he is to believe it will happen before June. But we're running out of options here for it to happen before June. Right. The options would be you do it with no fanfare tonight, you, for whatever reason, just wait and do it on Sunday. Get one day's worth of bang for your buck for this. 
essentially give a gift to well, not a gift i there would be no reason to not spread it out over the course of a weekend and say hey here's the first time adley rutschman's going to be here you can make it out for any of these three games if you can't make it out on friday there's two more games saturday and sunday for you to make it out to see right to do it on a sunday I, again it's better than doing it on the road but what what are we doing the only way it makes sense is if you're calling if you're calling Grayson Rodriguez up at the same time to make the start. A, but that doesn't make sense. Like but, it doesn't. There's no reason why Adley Rutschman needs to come on the same day as Grayson Rodriguez. There's well, but no I'm saying, reason why it needs to line up. So he's caught three days in a row. Uh-huh. So if he catches again tonight, uh-huh. then you give him Saturday off, you DH him, and then he's ready to catch again on Sunday, and then he catches. But Grayson why Rodriguez. couldn't he catch in Baltimore tonight? That's like, it. That, there's there's no. To say it makes sense, it doesn't make sense. There's none of no this makes sense. There's no way that sense. it makes sense. None of it makes sense. A- anything could be done, but none of it makes sense. And we can't get around that. Like, there's nothing sensical about any of this. Mm-hmm. So, could it be on the road? Yeah, it could be on the road. I guess this is insane, but it could be on the road. If it's not, we're down to literally the last game in May as being the only opportunity for his debut to be at home if it's not this weekend. Is goofy as hell. Dan Connolly says he's to understand that Super 2 isn't a thought here. And I pray to God that's correct because it, it's so much worse the thought of beginning Adley Rutschman's tenure by fighting with him about something like this. And it also proclaims loudly we're not going to buy this guy out of arbitration years. Exactly. And that's all the more frustrating for this fan base, which is desperate to see you do the right things moving forward in order to at least semi-sustain whatever success you might have. If he's not good enough, you don't have to worry about what it would cost him in arbitration. If he's that good, extend him! But Dan Connolly says he's to understand it's not about Super 2. None of this works. And I'm, I'm, I'm honestly beyond frustrated by it. I'm, I, infuriated is the wrong way to describe it. I'm not infuriated. Because again, I'll sleep fine tonight. It won't bother me. But it's so nonsensical. And the lack of information is so puzzling I don't even know what to say I so badly want to give Mike Elias and this regime the benefit of the doubt and it might not matter whenever Adley Rutschman gets here if he proves to be the player that we think he's going to be as I said before we'll probably forget about this but I don't get it. And it would just be nice to get any amount of clarification whatsoever. The Orioles indeed open up a three-game set against the Rays tonight here in Baltimore. We're assuming that it will not be Adley Rutschman in the lineup. Something called Jalen Beeks, which I've never heard of, will pitch against Tyler Wells game one of uh, tonight's series at 7 o'clock. 
they did announce the starting pitchers for the rest of the weekend. So they're not they're not in in any the the scenario that Paul's talked about where like Grayson Rodriguez will pitch on Sunday. They're not leaving any ambiguity that that's something that they're thinking about doing. They have announced that Spencer Watkins will make the start, which again doesn't mean that like in the world where Kevin Garnett is right and anything is possible. Anything's possible, but they typically, if they are considering at all something else, they'll just not announce the starter for that day. And they have announced that Spencer Watkins will make his next start. All right. Uh, joining us now, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what's been going on down at Norfolk and various stops, Charlotte, Nashville, last couple of weeks. Joining us now, he is the play-by-play voice of the Norfolk Times. He is Mr. Pete Mishu, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Pete, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's good to chat with you, man. Thank you so much for taking some time for us this morning. Uh, my pleasure, Glenn. It is, um, as you imagine, we're we're a little puzzled, right? We we definitely thought that we were going to see Adley Rutschman here by now. What have you seen from Adley Rutschman? And as far as you know, I I, I know you don't I, believe it or not. I don't think that Michael Elias is going to let you make the decision, right? Um, although, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete. If if you've gotten that word, you've been tapped on the shoulder. Hey, I'll let you make the call. Um, do you see a guy right now that you say that guy's ready for the major leagues? Well, you know, Glenn. Number one, you are you are correct in that. Michael Elias is not allowing me to make any decisions. Frankly, real, I real should, right. but I'm not making those decisions. Uh, as for Adley Rutschman, you know, we all know what talent he has, and he is going to be, I believe, a tremendous major league player. What I have seen from him in the, what, 12, 13, 14 games he has played since joining us is that he struggled uh, somewhat offensively, uh, was not swinging the bat as well as we had seen last year when he played the last third of the season uh, with Norfolk and hit over 300. Uh, he has started to swing the bat much better here in the last three or four games, mm-hmm. making much better contact. Um, it's an interesting dilemma, and you know, I'm certainly with you. From everything that I've been reading on social media, you know, I was betting the ranch that you know Adley probably would have been gone by now. Uh, but of course, that's all speculation, and you know the people in the media and the fans don't have any more insight into what you know Michael Elias is going to do than anybody else. Uh, obviously, he is still here. He has caught uh, the last three games in a row, four catching assignments in the last five days, with one off day in there. So certainly, getting a lot of work behind the plate uh, in the lineup offensively every day. Um, so, you know, the question is. At what point should he come up, dependent upon how he's playing? And that's an interesting discussion, one that I actually had yesterday with Matt Blood, who Mm -hmm. is the uh, Orioles' director of player development. And I said, you know, when you've got a guy like Adley, and we know that Michael Elias said, uh, you know, after spring training, that word not to the injury, Adley was probably on track to make the big league club out of camp this year. Right. Then you get a guy coming back off the tricep injury, you know, certainly not having had a full spring training and needing work, needing to see pitches, needing to take swings, gets off to maybe a little bit of a slower offensive start than you might like to see. And the question has to be asked, do you go ahead and bring him up, even if he's slumping a little bit offensively because he's Adley Rutschman, or do you leave him for a little longer than you might have anticipated in the hopes that he's on a hot streak 
before you bring them up? And, you know, that's a question that I can't answer, but one that's very interesting to pose. You know, Pete, you, you bring that up. It's something. It's a question that we've talked about a, little, a lot over the last week or so, and I just wonder how you juxtapose it with the fact that it, it's not like we are f- fearful that Adley is overmatched by pitching at that level because you just saw him at the end of last season come up and 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 hit quite well against pitching at that level. So w- when he was struggling, did you sense that it was injury-related at all? Did you sense that he was just a little bit slow, anything like that? No, no, I don't think it was injury-related at all. I just think that, you know, players, even the very best of players, uh, you know, have moments, have days, have weeks where, you know, they're just, you know, not seeing the ball terribly well, not making great contact. Um, you know, maybe Adley was kind of going through that a little bit. Maybe it's because he hadn't seen a whole lot of uh, pitches, you know, because of a lack of a spring and not having played early in the year. I don't think it was anything at all injury related. You know, physically, he seems to be perfectly fine. You know, says he's perfectly fine. Uh, so in terms of the injury, I think that's the thing of the past. Uh, I think it's just a matter of him, you know, getting into a groove. And I've seen that here the last couple of days. Looks like he's starting to hit the ball much more solidly. In fact, in contrast to when he first joined Norfolk and he got a couple of cheap base hits, you know, routine ground balls that were going through the infield. Now it's kind of gone the other way over the last three or four nights where he's actually making some outs but hitting the ball really hard. He hmm. hit a rope last night into left field but he hit it right at the left fielder for an out. I think it was the night before that. He had an absolute, you know, BB on a string, but right to the shortstop for a line out. So starting to see those good at bats, and unless you're watching the games and seeing those swings, you might just see, oh, you know, Adley made another out. But, you know, when you see him hitting the ball hard like that, you know, you know he's kind of turning it around and he's starting to find a groove. He is Pete Mishu, the play-by-play voice of the Tides, and he's with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Um you know, Pete, as far as catching, again, anything that you've noticed that there's been any amount of labor in terms of this being the longest stretch that we've seen or at least the most consistent stretch that we've seen of him catch since coming back from the injury? No, he looks perfectly fine. Um, he has made, you know, I think two throwing errors here in the last couple of days, and that kind of jumps out at you just because, you know, he is so good uh, defensively. He's normally so accurate uh, with his throws. In fact, he was actually awarded at Harbor Park a couple of days ago, uh, his 2021 Rawlings Minor League Gold Glove Award, and then promptly made a throwing error in the game that night, which really kind of you know, jumped out at me. Um, but, you know, he physically looks fine. The arm looks fine. The arm strength is there, you know, moving well behind the plate. He's, he's very good at blocking pitches and really helping his, his pitchers out, uh, you know, to save wild pitches and pass balls. Uh, so, again, I don't see anything physically uh, that, that would raise any red flags at all with Adley behind the plate. Um, as far as what he's done, you know, like, boy, some of the intangible stuff, and Pete, this goes back to the time that you spent around him last season as well. It, it's We wrote a cover story at Pressbox this month, and Luke Jackson dove into, like, the idea that when, when he arrives, despite being a rookie, like, it's in his nature to kind of be a leader and just to be that guy despite the fact that he will be on day one playing his first Major League Baseball game. It's just sort of crazy thought that a guy like that would be a team leader, but that's what we've grown to know of Adley Rutschman. There are people that would say, hey, you know, the, the fear of bringing someone up that's struggling is that they might be overwhelmed when they get to the Major Leagues, but everything that we know about Adley Rutschman would seem to say, 
mentally, it is hard to rattle this guy. The the time that you spent around him, would you tend to agree with that? Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. You're certainly you look at Adley's history and you know the numbers that he put up uh, at Oregon State. Uh, he's obviously accustomed to the limelight. He's accustomed to attention. He's accustomed to being a guy that is uh, you know put into pressure moments, and he has historically responded to them. Uh, so I don't think that phases him whatsoever. You know, I think like any young player, you know, he may defer a bit somewhat to some of the older guys, guys that have been around, even a guy like a Trey Mancini, right. even though Trey is not an old guy, you know, but he has a couple of years under his belt now at the big league level. So I don't think Adley's going to go in and, you know, start, you know, making demands and telling everybody what to do, you know, but when the moment arises and the situation is there, especially when it comes to working with the pitching staff, you know, Adley is, is such a smart ball player you know, understands the game from behind the plate, as so many good catchers do, because you, you see the game out in front of you, and you really have to have a feel for what's going on. And I think it's the fact that, you know, it's not like Adley feels like he wants to take over and wants to make demands and wants to be the leader. It just kind of comes naturally to him. It's a comfortable situation for him, and, you know, his teammates respond to him for that. All right, let's talk about a couple of other guys, Pete. Let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez because, boy, I, I know he's much younger than Adley, but and I know it's not a rush, but you're starting to get the sense of what, what more does he have to prove at this point, right? Yeah, I don't think he has to prove anything else. He has been uh, outstanding with this ball club. Uh, he had two, I wouldn't call them bad outings, but I would call them mediocre games on the last road trip down in Gwinnett where he got uh, hit kind of hard in in the first and second innings of a couple of games, um, and didn't look you know at his very best. Uh, but it kind of was like water off a duck's back. He rebounded hmm. pretty nicely in Nashville with a good showing, and then had the the dominant showing a couple of days ago here in Charlotte, where he struck out eleven. He did walk three in that game, uh, so his his control was not you know perfect. But I mean. you know he was still <laughs> ninety five on a scale of you know, zero to a hundred, so it was still a, a dominating effort. Uh, you know he he's a guy who very easily you know, throws 94-95 and makes it look like he's not even trying. And when he runs to ramp it up, you know, 97, 98, uh, we've seen him touch 100 on a couple of occasions. Uh, so, you know, I don't think he has to prove anything else. I think it's just a matter of, you know, giving the kid an opportunity, you know, to get even more comfortable. He only has 37 and a third innings of AAA experience in his life. He's only 22 years old. You know, I don't see the need... You know, to rush him, it's, you know, you look back, and obviously you guys have followed the Orioles for a long time, you look back to the prior regime uh, before Mike Elias came in, and it seemed like time and time again, you know, they were pushing guys up so quickly. Uh, And I know a lot of organizations, especially when they're losing, you know, feel the pressure to do that, especially from the fans and the media, and you bring a guy up, you know, maybe when he's not quite ready or putting him into a situation where maybe he could... Uh, you know, be a little more comfortable, and, you know, it works as a negative against him. So why make that mistake with Grayson at his age and with the little time he has had at this level? You know, even if it's a matter of just giving him a half a season at AAA. Sure. I'm not sure if I understand, you know, those demanding that he be called up after, you know, just what it's been, what, six or seven games here at AAA. No, I, and I, look, I actually agree with you, Pete. It, it, it's not, I don't think it's, there needs to be a rush with Grayson Rodriguez. I don't think there needs to be whatsoever. He's very young and continue to get him firing away. And But, but I mean, like, we're at the point, though, where the pitch count is up 
like I, I think Paul told me it was near damn near ninety pitches the last time out, right, with Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I think it was eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's he's he's clearly getting to the point where like he that, that's not an issue any longer. He's getting to the third time around through an order, right? It's, right. And you know, if we look at you know if come August and September. Uh, we look back at Grayson Rodriguez, and let's just say, for example, he gets called up in, you know, late June or early July. You know, will that have been waiting too long? That's still only half a season. Right. So I don't really think even waiting to that point to give him a half a year at AAA, you know, I don't think that's waiting too long at all. So, you know, I have no issue at all with the way they're handling Grayson and, you know, just let him continue to dominate here, get more comfortable, you know, continue to see more hitters that have had big league time and a lot of AAA experience. Uh, that will just continue to benefit him. I, I know it's only been a little bit, um, but, but give me your thoughts on what you've seen so far in those first two starts from D.L. Hall. Uh, electric arm. Uh, a guy who just has such a smooth motion. He's got that high leg kick. The ball just seems to explode out of his hand. Uh, you know, he, he reminds me a lot of Grayson that at, that at times you can see when he has his stuff and when he is commanding the zone, you know, looks almost unhittable. But obviously, here's a guy, as you know, that, you know, was shut down last year with the injury. You know, they're bringing him along, you know, understandably, you know, at a very slow and a very cautious rate. You know, let's build up that pitch count. Uh, let's give him some experience. Of course, he's got even less at this level than Grayson Rodriguez, uh, but another guy who you know, I think has an, an opportunity uh, you know, to be a phenomenal, you know, upper end of the starting pitching rotation kind of guy. And then as I, there's a guy that, you know, wasn't in that first group of prospects, but kind of in that next group that we had been thinking about. And, you know, it, 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 the numbers have not been good so far this season. What, what's been going on with Kyle Stowers, Pete? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I know Kyle is, is a guy that is high on the radar. I know that Mike Elias has been quoted as saying, you know, that he feels as if Kyle is right on the cusp of making it to the big league level. Um, he's been a little erratic this year offensively. Uh, he'll have two or three games in a row where he'll hit the ball extremely well. Uh, I know he just had back-to-back -back games with home runs here a couple of days ago, uh, but then he'll have a night where, you know, he'll strike out swinging three times and hit a couple of weak ground balls. Um, so he's, in just a, he's a little inconsistent right now. Um, there's obviously a lot of talent there. Uh, I think he's a guy who has a chance to make it and make an impact in Baltimore. Uh, but, you know, but right now that average has kind of been, you know, hovering right around the 200 level now for a couple of weeks. He had the great start and then really kind of cooled off like it got a lot of guys on this team did and has just not really gotten into a groove where he's hitting the ball hard, you know, for a couple of weeks in a row. And that's what we're waiting to see. All right, we'll give you this one. Give me the one guy that maybe we're not talking about that you would say, hey, from what I've seen so far this season, this is a guy that should be way more on, on everybody's radar at this point. Well, I've got two for you. Okay. Uh, a position player and a pitcher. All right. A position player would be Robert Newstrom. Yeah, he can, he can, uh, he can launch it, right? He's a young guy who just throughout his career, you go back and look at him even in high school, he, he got basically no attention from D1 schools, uh, ended up, you know, kind of walking on without a scholarship at Iowa, eventually became a Big Ten player there. I think he's, you know, way down to the prospect list, 38 or something like that. Uh, you know, he's not one of those top 10 or top 20 kind of guys. And, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be a major league star, uh, but here's a guy who I think, you know, has an opportunity, uh, you know, to be a, a starting player at the big league level. 
Um, you know, he swings a good bat. Uh, he's got a little bit of pop. He kind of hits the ball all over the place. Um, you know, I look back to Trey Mancini when Trey was playing with the Tides. I mean, Trey Mancini was not regarded nope. as a top ten prospect kind of guy not at all. Yeah, and, and, and I remember watching Trey thinking, okay, he's a he's a nice, solid ball player. I think maybe Trey, you know, could maybe make the big leagues. I wasn't thinking he could become an all star at the big league level. And I kind of think Robert Newstrom's the same kind of guy. Um, you know, whether he can become a starter at the big league level, maybe he's a bench guy. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think he's somebody that, you know, we certainly have to continue to pay attention to. I, On the pitching staff, Cole Jubala has been phenomenal okay. out of the bullpen. Right-hander, uh, they got him from the Rangers as a Rule 5 minor league selection, and he's a guy who goes out there and you know, he may not dazzle you by throwing, you know, 97 miles an hour, but he's smart. He just gets guys out, and he's a guy who I, I think if he continues pitching the way that he has been, um, is somebody that the Orioles at least, at least need to give a look to because he and Nick Vespi were kind of the back-end eighth and ninth-inning guys out of that bullpen for the Tides this year. Of course, Nick just got the call yep. up a couple of days ago, and I think Cole is a guy that you know, if he keeps pitching the way he is, at least you've got to give an, op- an opportunity to him at the big league level to see what he can do against pitchers at that level. Tides are back home next week for six against Gwinnett starting on Tuesday night. At Tides Radio Voice is how you follow Pete Michu on Twitter. Pete, great stuff, man. Really appreciate you taking the time for us this morning. Enjoy your weekend down in Charlotte. We'd love to catch up with you again down the road. All right. Always my pleasure, Glenn, anytime. Thank you, sir. Pete Michu right. with us here on GCR, play-by-play voice of the Norfolk Tides. Checking in uh, with some thoughts. and Again, nothing in there that makes you say, well, here's why Hadley Rutschman definitely shouldn't be here right now. The, the eternal argument of, do you want to call a guy up while he's struggling? I just, uniquely with this guy, you can't get me to get that to matter. You just can't get me to think that that's relevant with Adley Rutschman. I, I would feel differently about other players. I think if he's struggling, whether he's struggling at the minors or the majors, he's he's going to break out of it probably right. at the same time. In, I mean, the in, baseball in players opinion. go through rough stretches. Exactly. Baseball players go through a week where they're just not hitting. Look how Cedric started the season. Yeah, this, this happens. This is part of the game. Every baseball player goes through a week mm-hmm. where they just don't hit. If the concern was that dude, we're really worried that he hasn't graduated yet, that he hasn't proven that he has mastered this level in order to move on, that'd be a different conversation. But again, that would conflate with the story that you were going to have him here on opening day and would require you to ignore everything that he did while he was at AAA a year ago. Part Something that just popped into my head, maybe, because in, the minor, in college and in the minor leagues, generally the manager calls the pitches. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're giving him an opportunity to call games and see how he handles that. That's the I mean, only I, other thing that I could think of. I mean, I would think that that would have been something that somebody would have pointed out at some point. Like, you right. know, all these things Dan Connolly has written. I would think that that's, at some point somebody would have said, hey, by the way, like this is ri- – that That would be a very simple thing mm-hmm. when your fan base is losing their minds to come back and say, hey, it's one thing that, like, we just want him to spend a little bit more time doing. Mm-hmm. And, again, if that was the case, why would he have been on the roster on opening day? We, we keep coming back to, like, these two things don't equate. Well, if he, he would have been on the roster on opening day because he would have had an entire spring training to do but, that. But they wouldn't have had an entire spring. He only We're only talking about another, like, week and a half, two weeks because spring tra- training started so late. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, but he like, would have had three weeks in spring training, just like he's had three weeks down at the minor league level. Well, it's been what four weeks now at this point. It's been yeah, that's true. A, now a week been, in a week in Aberdeen, a week in Bowie, two weeks in Norfolk, true. and and whatever more it's gonna be. Like this is the these things just don't line up. You can't make it all line up. Which is why the conspiracy theory and the Super 2 fear lingers because you can't make these things line up. Now, their answer might be, hey, look, in a perfect world, we would have been away this week and home next week. And so Adley would have gotten a little bit more time to get to catching four out of five days. And once we were at that point, that was really the biggest thing for us. And ideally, once he did that this week, we call him up next week and he starts at home. But we're on the road next week. And so that complicates things. Mm-hmm. I would still go back to the, why did he need to ramp up to all that catching in the minors? I would still ask that question. I don't understand that. I don't understand why it is that Tyler Nevin needed to get more time at first base. Instead of having Adley Rutschman come up and letting him DH and having Trey Mancini play first base. I don't understand that. Right. You're not going to make me understand that. I'll, I'll tell you, I trust Rockabaco and Dan Conley implicitly when it comes to the Orioles. If they both say he's not precluded from, from being called up on the road, then I think it's a very real possibility. I mean, if you, it has to be a possibility, but that goes back. I, I'm trying to uh, explain the way of describing this. Every time we say this, of course it's possible. It's mm-hmm. just insane. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like like they, you could a- anything is possible. It's possible. It could wait until September, right? Like anything is possible. It's just nuts. If they call him up on the road, they call him up on the road. And the argument being at some point why continue to have these guys catch when you have the option of Adley Rutschman? Like you can make that argument. But this does go back to the leadership of the organization and someone stepping in and saying, hey, Mike. Because Mike Elias might say, I just don't care about the business side of this. I care about what's best for the baseball team. And what was best for the baseball team was Adley Rutschman catching four days out of five, five days out of six, whatever we wanted it to be, before we call him up. He's done that. It's time to call him up. But somebody in there has got to say, what are we doing? We have to work together on this stuff. And again, it's one thing if you're competitive, it's one thing if you're in the throes of a playoff race and you have a catcher get hurt. If last year they had been competing for a spot, and I don't even remember who was catching at this point last year. Jesus Pedro Severino. Thank you, Severino. And, and it was Severino. Um, if Severino gets hurt and you're competing for a playoff spot and you say, the hell with it. We need somebody to catch. This is the guy. Bring him up. And somebody says, well, you're really going to bring him up? We're in Toronto this weekend. We're trying to win. Mm-hmm. The hell with everything else. Winning is what matters. Somebody within the organization's got to have the ability to step in and say, "Yo, yo, yo, chief." No, 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 no. No. We we all know what's going on here. You don't get to say that what's best for the baseball team is definitely more important than what's best for the business right now, because. Hello, the baseball team is irrelevant. I said it's unfair to say irrelevant. The baseball team is not what matters here. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm at the point where I almost don't even want to talk about it anymore. I'm so it's mind numbing. It's it's infuriating. Every day that goes by, it's just infuriating that we're still left this far in the dark about the most important thing that has happened to the Baltimore Orioles since 2016. It's in it's jaw oh, it just makes my skin kind of curl. Just get to the point. Roll another joint. Turn the radio on. So, oh, never mind. It's a different thing. I just, I, I'm, I'm sick of continuing to have the conversation and thinking that at some point somebody can make it make sense to me. Because I am convinced you cannot make it make sense. There's nothing you can do that can make it make sense. Short of if somebody just says, hey, by the way, you're not going to believe this. Adley didn't want to come up right now. <laughs> like, that's the only thing at this point. I'm like, not quite ready, like, guys. Well, no, if, like he just said, like, my family can't be there for this week. I would rather it be when my family could be there. Mm-hmm. And you were just kind of capitulating to Adley at that point and saying, now, I don't have I, I, I don't have any reason to think that's the case. But that's about the only thing at this point. What player if, in the right mind If you would that? tell me. I mean, I, again, if it doesn't really matter all that much one way or the other, like, I could see there just being a, a more ideal, like, hey, you know, because of their jobs, they literally cannot fly into Baltimore this week. But hey, son, we got we got we got a cookout this this week. We no, can't but make they it. Have job. People still have jobs. I Paul. know, but there's extenuate. I assure a boss you, would understand. You say that. I don't. Adley's mom is a teacher. I don't know what Adley's dad does. I'll t- I don't remember what he does. I he's, think he's a he's baseball. A, he's a coach. coach. I know, but yeah. I don't know if he does anything else. Um, it, let's just say they have a pretty critical playoff game or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it. it and I'm not, I, again, I have no reason to think this is the case. But in the world where it is, I don't think it's insane that if Adley Rutschman personally said, hey, look, I am looking at this date as the date that really makes a lot of sense to me because it's the best date for me to organize my family coming in. Would you guys be willing to work with me? Considering the team's not very good, there would be reason for the folks in the decision-making department to say, yeah, bud. We can work with you on that. We can hold this off for another week, and we can do it then if that gives your family a better opportunity of all coming in for the game. I, I mean, I do remember when we talked to Adley's mom on Mother's Day, her saying something like, I'm hoping to be there. <clears throat> and I wonder if like part of that was just not knowing, and part of that was like, you know, we, got, we, got, we do. We have some things going on here that we got to deal with, and we just don't know if we can make it. And I just want, ugh, I'm not, again, I don't know anything. And as crazy as it sounds, when I try to find something that would make me make it make sense, that's what I keep coming back to, make it make sense, this is about the only thing left on the list. But if that were the case, again, why wouldn't you come out and tell everybody? Mm-hmm. Just and say, hey, Adley wants his family to be there, and that's, that's the date that they circled, and we're going to have a big celebration on that day with Adley's family for him being here. That would be a wonderful thing for you to come out and put everybody's minds at ease. Oh, we get it now. You're doing a favor for Adley. You're setting things up. That's a wonderful. That's the exact opposite of fighting over Super 2 status. It's you working with the player that we think is going to be the the centerpiece of all of this and the guy that you might want to try to extend at some point. That would be the exact opposite. None of it. You can't make it make sense. You can't make it make sense. We come back in. I want to talk about Sam Cooke a little bit. 
um, as uh, his retirement did indeed become official yesterday. We kind of had a feeling that that was the case. Today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models, a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Glenn Clark Radio. Hey, O's fans, break out the orange and black to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Watch the O's take on the Tampa Bay Rays May 20th through the 22nd. Get to the yard early on May 20th when the first 10,000 fans 15 and over will receive a 30th anniversary tumbler presented by Masson. A variety of ticket options are available, including the Orioles Flexible Ticket Bank, Kids Cheer Free, and more. Visit Orioles.com tickets to find a ticket option that's right for you. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com that first sip that first bite Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and Paul Valley every Tuesday morning at 1140. Fandle Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and even a few winners. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday at 1140 a.m. Brought to you by the Fandle Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash-fried pork belly with our popular Korean number 2 sauce, and take a bite out of the Crunch Burger topped with home-run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. 
We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR live. It's at Facebook.com slash Sports. And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. If you missed either Stan the Fan shows this week on Monday, they had a special show kind of talking everything Bowie Bay Sox with Phil Ryan and Adam Pohl. And then on Wednesday, he and Gary Stein caught up with new uh, Towson Athletic Director Stephen Eigenbrot. Those shows available. Facebook.com slash Sports. Click on the videos tab. Pressboxonline.com slash video or YouTube.com slash Pressboxonline. Um... You know, I think a lot of people kind of realized that yesterday's press conference was going to be about Sam Cook's retirement. A couple of things that I want to say about it. One, this goes back to when the weekend of the draft, I I said after I heard the Ravens' response to the question about drafting a punter, I kind of said, hey, that's a bit of a cop-out. And I said the one caveat being, like, if they know that Sam Cook is going to retire and they just don't want to steal his thunder, then I think it's a reasonable way that they they just really they just kind of didn't want to talk about it during the draft weekend. Um, I am to understand they didn't know that Sam Cook was going to retire. Um, That's the vibe I got from the press conference. Yeah, I mean that was the vibe that was put off. And again, if you the vibe that was put off by Sam Cook is like very much he still thinks he can do this. Um, I haven't, I haven't talked to Sam yet. I'm sure I will at some point in the next week. Um, just give these guys some time. And, and it's a little bit different because he is going to move into a coaching role, and so he is still kind of with the Ravens. The, the truth is that this does almost create a best-of-both-worlds scenario. And I say that because they clearly think this kid, Jordan Stout, can punt, enough so that they were willing to make a decision like this. If they get to a point in the season and he's hurting them, their backup plan is literally in the building. And that becomes awkward because you just did this like lavish retirement ceremony for mm-hmm. Sam Cook, which I'm going to guess very few punters have ever experienced something like this. And Sam, I don't think, makes this decision without being confident that he's actually retired. But... It's. I think the unspoken part of this is that they're buying themselves a backup plan, which is if they get through eight weeks of the season and for whatever reason this kid is just a disaster and is not ready for the NFL level, they have a punter in the building. And they can say, we're going to worry about this another day. We'll let this guy finish out the year. If he's willing to, and that will become a question at that point. And I I think that's not something that you'll ever get Sam to say on the record because it feels like you're kind of cutting off the legs of the, the kid that's about to become the punter. But I would think that behind the scenes, they would have at least had that conversation. Hey, man, we're not going to talk about this, but we just want to know. Despite all this, if we get to a point where we had to, could you punt for us? I also wonder if allowing him to stay within the organization in any kind of capacity as this sort of personal mentor to Jordan Stout is the individual reason why Sam decided that he would prefer to retire than punt somewhere else. Sam's got a big family. We've talked to him about that a lot over the years. Um, the idea that he doesn't, he can still be at home with the kids, that he doesn't have to go live in... Indianapolis or Denver, 
Minnesota, wherever it would be, while the rest of the family stays here, or uproot an entire family for like one year of punting somewhere else. I, I think that's quite desirable. So kind of a neat way, best of both worlds scenario that it works out, but you still need a, a someone who punts next year. I mean, it's, we don't think about it the way that we think about other things. We can't measure it quite the same way. Like, you know when your kicker doesn't work out. When the, the Buccaneers used a, that high of a pick on Roberto Aguayo and he couldn't make an effing kick, they knew they had effed up. And they had to fix it quickly. It's not quite as definable when it comes to your punter. Because the likelihood is that you're not going to have the most refined punter on day one of their NFL career. So when do you bail on it? Or how do you know it's definitely not working? That's a more complicated question. With a kicker, you know, because they're not making a kick. And the Ravens bailed on Steven Ashgat, and he wasn't even all that bad. He just missed one really critical kick in Minnesota, and they said, Sorry, man, this could be too important. This is the difference in winning and losing games. So we got to go with a guy that we know will never lose us a game, and they hired Billy Cundiff, and it worked out perfectly. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Never lost a game. Um, I'm, the, I'm, the funny part being Billy Cundiff was actually quite good for the most part during his time as a, a Ravens kicker. I'm glad that you mentioned the whole family aspect because I was sitting there and I'm, I'm listening to this press conference yesterday and my thought process is this guy clearly thinks he can still do it and he clearly would still like to play if, but is it the fact that he just doesn't want to leave Baltimore? No, I, I mean, I just think that it's an, an awkward spot when, when the idea is, you know, for, for one, Sam's made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to do it any longer. He's won a Super Bowl. He's, you know, he's going to be in a, the insanity of a punter being in a team's ring of honor, or receiving the highest honor that a team can give. I know that Brian Billick was on here yesterday making the argument for Sam Cooke to get into Canton. And by the way, there is an argument. It's just not going to happen. Are there any punters? That yeah, Ray Guy. Ray Guy's in the Hall of Fame, but that's the list. Um, it, it it's just so and Ray Guy had to wait like a hundred years in order to get in. Like the it's so ungodly difficult for a punter to get into the Hall of Fame. It's difficult for a kicker to get in the Hall of Fame. But we think there are two that are coming after like Morton Anderson already got in. Jan Stenerud's been in. We think that both Venetieri and Justin Tucker are gonna get in in the in future years. Punters it's so bloody difficult. And for whatever stupid reason, Sam Cooke did not get the individual accolades that make it overwhelming and broad for people who aren't paying attention. You're asking a room full of people that weren't watching every Ravens game. And they look back and they say, the guy was a pro bowler once. That You, you think a one-time pro bowler is a guy that's going to be in the Hall of Fame? Like Nick Markakis, where people but, are saying if he plays six more years, yeah, you get, get three well, thousand, but, then, but, but one but All-Star the, game. But the 3,000 hits thing would still be that, – that would outweigh. Mm-hmm. And he's not a punter. <laughs> like, like you, you got He's a right fielder. You I don't play the importance I, of right I fielders. understand that, but he plays every day. Yeah. Like, he's a regular yeah. – a punter is a punter, no matter how good you are. You, again, the greatest punter of all time. It's hard as hell to get into the Hall of Fame. Convincing a group of people that didn't watch every game that – a punter is a Hall of Famer that, again, made one Pro Bowl is going to be 
near impossible. And that is a failure because he didn't receive more accolades. Like, he was only a one-time All-Pro as well. It's not just that you say, hey, this is about fan vote. Part of the problem is nobody is watching punting, and nobody saw what Sam Cooke was doing for punting, and the way that we viewed punting for the most part, even going into this draft, everybody was talking about the kid from San Diego State, the punt guide. Because he could boom the ball 90 yards. Because the thing that we notice about punting is when you kick the ball really far. <laughs> we don't have the advanced stats and the metrics to say, no, this guy is actually the best punter because he comes up with the best punt in each circumstance that he's in. And that's what Sam Cook did. He revolutionized the concept of punting, which is the best argument for him maybe to one day be considered for the Hall of Fame as more punters come along and say, I'm doing what Sam Cook did. And they use his name in how the entire vocation has changed. That maybe 15 years down the road, Somebody in that room is like, dude, have you noticed that everybody talks about Sam Cook? In the way that Don Coryell was not the greatest coach of all time, but revolutionized football with Air Coryell, and it made the argument for him to maybe be worthy of the Hall of Fame. Again, it's trickier because we're talking about punting. But the more these punters say, Hey, Sam Cook was the guy. Sam Cook was the reason I punt the way that I do. Sam Cook is what inspired me to learn different ways to punt. The more you hear that from younger punters, the better chances of his name coming up. But it's still extraordinarily unlikely. He was a one-time All-Pro. Just it ain't going to happen no matter how deserving he might be. But we all know from being in here in Baltimore just how effing good Sam Cook is and has been. And, you know, how insane and fortunate. This does not happen in most organizations. In most organizations, they're going through punters every every couple of years. And there's a point at which during the season – you have to switch punters in the middle of the season because it's such a mess. The Ravens have had a long line of good. I think they've only had three punters. No, they've had right? four, but and like you can say, there are various levels of good. They Kyle Richardson, Dave Zastadel were fine. They were fine. This guy, it, it's not like this is not Matt Stover to Justin Tucker. This guy was vastly better than all of the other punters that have been in Baltimore, and they had fine punters. Montgomery, um, Zastadel, Kyle Richardson won the first Super Bowl. They had fine punters. This guy's vastly better. And for fairness, Justin Tucker's vastly better than Matt Stover, too. Mm-hmm. But Matt Stover was better at his job than those guys were at their jobs. Um, it's a shame, because it's punting, that it wasn't more widely known how good Sam Cooke was. It's a shame that it took... I want to say it was Van Valkenburg's story in ESPN the magazine... And, I, and maybe it was somebody else. I don't remember it was an ESPN story, but I think it was Kevin, that really broke down just how crazy it was and how different what Sam Cooke was doing than any other punter in the game. And it was funny because when we talked to Jordan Stout the morning after the draft, um, you know, he was talking about the various different punts that he has. And that is a direct reflection on Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke brought 
the golf bag to punting. The I kick this punt in this circumstance. I do this punt in this circumstance. In the past, it was I maybe put a little more or a little less air in it, and I might you you know kick to a certain direction. That was the extent of the concept of punting. Sam Cook had thirty some different punts. 30-some different pitches in his arsenal to go to, given the circumstance. He completely revolutionized the concept. It's not sexy. We don't score fantasy points for it unless you play in Patrick Stevens' fantasy punter league, which I've never had the balls to join, but I've always thought about. And that's a real thing that really exists. Um, Wow. Sam Cook's been unbelievable. He's accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. Him saying, hey, look, man, I'd rather just be here at this point. I can be cool with the career that I've had. I'd rather just be here and be with my family as they're running around playing sports. And I get the chance to go to more games. He's going to be 40 years old. He's a man who's approaching 40 years old himself. I get it. I completely get it. I wish I could be in the same place. I might be able to retire when I'm dead. (laughs) Um, so happy, very happy for Sam. And uh, it, it, unfortunately, on a national scale, you know, they don't even know how to pronounce the man's name. They'll call him Sam Koch or whatever. Like uh, nationally, it's it's it registers nothing because it's a punter. I mean, that's just the reality of it. No, but it's a punter. Who cares? But here locally, we know, we know, we understand. At least with kicking, it counts for fantasy football, and you can personally win games. Sam Cook has won the Ravens games. I've talked about it. There have been days where he has made been the best playmaker they had. A little bit less of that in recent years because the offense got much better, but there have been those days during the course of his tenure. Um, so uh, uh, tremendous career. R- what a run, and and hopefully now some of that will rub off. And that it does. It puts Jordan Stout under a microscope. This is, again, a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl. You're going all in. You're going all in with an important part of your team on – on saying we we trust this guy and it worked with justin tucker once upon a time you went with a rookie kicker and you had a super bowl win to show for it you had a guy that was ready to go deliver a massive kick in denver with the game on the line in frigid weather to beat peyton manning well when you got ice in your veins you don't get i i hear you but they didn't know that was the case when they decided to go they knew he was talented they knew but People forget just how difficult and how agonizing the decision was for them between Billy Cundiff and Justin Tucker. They were committed to Billy Cundiff being the guy. It's why they didn't draft a kicker. They signed a kicker after the draft to say, hey, let's bring somebody in to push Billy to try to help him get better. They were committed to Billy Cundiff still being their kicker the following year. This is not that. There's no competition. There's no. They're committed to the rookie being the punter. Bold. I mean, it's bold. It's an important part of the game. They truly believe this guy's special. And I hope they're right. I hope they're right. Yeah, and I think that's why there's no reason for Ravens fans to really be worried about it. I mean, they do. They clearly do their Man, due diligence. Man, you say that. You with, say that. They do their due diligence with all their special teams guys. And I, it, it worked out with Tucker. Um, you mentioned Cundiff. He was good I mean, until he wasn't. And then, uh, I mean, it. In in the recent years, over this past decade, there's no reason I th- feel like for this team. To, if, for what fans you're saying, to worry. if what you're saying is special teams is the area for you to have 
the most faith in this organization, I, you know, sure, I hear you. They've they have prioritized it in a way that very few organizations have ever prioritized special teams. Um, how much of that is just a run of good luck versus them having it's ten years? It's when you talk specifically about the, but they that's because they ran into one kicker. You know what I mean? Like they also tried Steve Hauschka. and Graham Gano. No, they never put him. Graham Gano was never the regular season kicker. Oh, they, he didn't kick in the regular up, season? But he ended up being no. good in Carolina no, he, he, for years. Correct. When yeah. they, they, the argument has always been for other teams, but the Kari Vedvik wasn't. How you know what I mean? Like Wade Ritchie. Wade Ritchie was far more than 10 years ago. And I remember he kicked the longest yes. kick in Ravens history. Yes. They did what they had at to do with Vedvik. <laughs> they got a pick out of him. I understand that, but what I'm saying is like... It, this might be nothing more than good luck that they happen to find Justin Tucker. Or maybe only the Ravens. And Justin Tucker could have been someone. Justin Tucker could have been a, a guy that wasn't Justin Tucker. They happen to find the one. Mm. I, I'm, I, I understand the argument that if there's a place to have faith in the Ravens, it's in special teams. I understand that argument wholeheartedly. Um, but, you know, somebody else might have argued if there was a place to have faith in the Ravens, it was middle linebacker. And, you know... Middle linebacker became kind of a problem for a few years. C.J. Mosley was good, but not good enough that they wanted to give him a contract. Um, Post-C.J. Mosley, they struggled so much they had to go back into the first round to try to find Patrick Queen and hope that that would be the guy. Like, there have been plenty of times where we've said, hey, if there's anywhere to trust an organization, it's at this position. But did you trust him? We always said that about tight end, right? How did Max Williams work out? You know, he's been an okay player in Arizona, but was he a guy that was worthy of a second-round pick? Mm-mm. Definitely not. So I, I hear what you're saying, Griffin. I'm not saying you're wrong to, to, to have faith. I have faith, but we all just have to. It's a big risk that you're taking. Yeah, ju- Justin Tucker would have been Justin Tucker wherever he went, probably, is, my, is my opinion. Probably the case. Probably. Although they do have a good system where they employ an additional special teams coach whose job is to be sort of a kicking whisperer and mm-hmm. Randy Brown. Um, like they do have a system that might be more beneficial for kickers here than systems in other places. And having Sam Cook as kind of a punting whisperer, you would think would be beneficial for Jordan Stout, right? Like you would think that would help, but he still has to go do it. And if it costs you a game earlier in the year because you decided to to go full blown with a rookie punter. It's gonna, there's going to be some second-guessing about it. There's going to be somebody saying, hey, um, you know, nobody was talking about it, but that kid kind of cost you the game on Sunday. Uh, yikes. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I don't have any reason to think that's going to be the case. Like, like Tucker goes against under the, the Saints four years ago? That was a thing that happened, <laughs> and we all convinced ourselves that Joe Flacco couldn't play anymore despite the fact that he literally – had beat the Saints that day, and then Justin Tucker missed an extra point, which it's still one of the most befuddling things that's ever happened in the history of football. I'll never forget the look on his face. I mean, like, what? I mean, we were all as exactly as confused as he was. Could not believe. I mean, it was the most insane thing you've ever seen. Of course, Joe Flacco also got hurt, so it was going to be over one way or the other for him. Um, from, from Dan. Dan says... Um, Glenn, it's interesting the theories you're starting to throw out about Adley Rutschman. I, too, have been starting to wander into almost the bizarro world scenarios at this point. Like, for example, 
Is there any chance that the Orioles want to do a unique giveaway on the night that Adley Rutschman makes his debut and they don't have the T-shirts made yet? I know you're laughing, but remember how many times the Orioles have botched a bobblehead or something along those lines over the years? What was the one? What was the, the Kevin Gossman on the Game of Thrones dragon after he'd been traded away? Well, there was that. There was I was there. I want to say the first Chris Tillman bobblehead was a night that he had been sent down and he was starting at Norfolk. The same night that his bobblehead night was at, I, 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 if it wasn't Tillman, somebody had a bobblehead and was struggling so much they got sent down, and they were actually pitching for Norfolk the night of their bobblehead night in Baltimore. Wasn't there like a Brian Roberts bobblehead well, that, 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 that looked more like Adam Jones? There definitely something? was that. I want to say there was one that was like blue. There are definitely times where they didn't actually give away the bobblehead. They just gave a voucher mm-hmm. because the bobbleheads weren't ready. Or there was, a, I mean, those they have had plenty of those problems. Dan, no, I don't think that's the case here. I don't think that has anything to do with that. But I hear you. We are definitely dipping our toes into the bizarro world and why these scenarios might not might have been playing out. I'm going to guess that's not the case, but, you know. Maybe the number that they're retiring for Adley Rutschman is uh, not ready yet. What? <laughs> like, like he specifically wants a number that someone already has on the team. No, 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 no. They they they're retiring thirty five because they know he's going to oh, be did, that but good. But they already want to have it out. Yes. In the in the w- do they call the plaza something the retired num- where all the numbers are out front? I have no idea. They're going to build a statue and that's why they're wait they're yeah, waiting yeah. they're for waiting it to for be all ready that before Adley be Rutschman makes his debut. It's a hell of an idea. Then Don't he, get me and wrong. Then he hits one ninety for his career. Right. It's a hell of an idea. Uh, yes, that's where we are with guessing in relation to Adley Rutschman is because we just simply don't know. So we are very much at that point. Uh, by the way, today's show also brought to you by the uh, Baltimore Police. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police. Make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good. BPDrecruit.org. Brian Powell wants to know if there is an update on the lacrosse bet heading into this weekend's games. Brian, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure Booker's lost. I mean, I... I, I we said that a couple weeks ago. I'll, I'll double check on it, but I'm pretty sure Booker had Duke and, and he had Notre Dame. Like Booker barely had anybody make the tournament. I want to say his best hope was Brown, and they're out. So I'm pretty sure that Booker has clinched defeat. But we will double check on that as far as lacrosse bet is concerned, and we will deal with that with Booker because he will have to um, he will have to choose to make a run. And from <clears throat> oh god, maybe it is allergies. I don't know why they're creeping up again now. It's getting warm. It's getting warm. It's going to be real warm tomorrow for Preakness. Yuck. God, thanks a lot for that. Jesus Christ. 90s today, tomorrow. Oh, 90s all weekend. Couldn't have a damn 75-degree day for Preakness. It'd be really effing nice. I'm going to sweat ball. And that's the other thing, too, is because we are, because we're sitting in the nice area, she's definitely going to ask me to wear an effing suit. I'm not going to wear the seersucker. I'm not doing that. I will pull that out for special occasions at some point in the future, but I ain't doing it tomorrow. But she will definitely ask me to wear a suit. I, it's going to be 94 degrees. Can you wear like one of those suits where the pants are shorts? I don't think I can pull that off. I don't think I have the gams for that, my friend. I don't think I don't that know, man. I don't think that I don't I don't think that that's the look for me. And I'm not going to go out and buy. I don't own one like that. I'm not going to go out and buy Scissors, one. Scissors, baby. Oh, just cut Scissors, off the baby. and make them. Um, I just know how this is going to go. I know. I'm going to get home tonight. She'll be like, hey, what are you wearing tomorrow? And I'm going to say, I'll wear, you know, a, a breathable shirt and, uh, you know, a pair of slacks, something like that. And she's going to say, what? 
No. No, you have to wear a suit. I'm going to say, it's a thousand degrees. She's like, yeah, but I'm wearing a dress because it breathes. I mean, I'll wear a shirt. I'm happy to wear a shirt. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, I thought about it a little bit. And at some point, that's the other thing too. At some point, she's gonna say she's gonna get bored, and she's gonna say, "Let's go out and look at the infield," and we'll be out there like dopes, the uh, the oldest people in the infield, wearing. I'll be wearing an effing suit. And I know there will be other people that will do the same thing, but they'll feel just as stupid as I will. Well, what about when she starts to complain about how hot she is? Oh, she's going to, oh my God, it's all she's going to do. And it's worse because she's going to be drinking all day. Because we're getting there at like 10.30 a.m. Because we're sitting in the uh, open bar area Shoot. and we want to take advantage of how much we had to pay to sit in the open bar area. So she will be passed out by 3 in the afternoon. Now, my plan. That's eight hours before the race starts. Oh, the race starts at 7. <sighs> My plan is to let her sleep for a little while. Just literally treat her like she was a 20-year-old. Just to let her sit. I'll, 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 I'll play Wordle. I'll play Hurdle. I'll do all those things on my phone. Let her sleep for a minute. She'll come back to it at some point. She gets her second wind, hopefully in time for the Preakness. But I know I have seen this day so many times in my life. This day is going to be an utter... Oh, and she's going to wake up at like 3 in the morning because she's got to go to her own horse barn and do things. She is going to pass out. If we walk outside and she's been day drinking and it's 90 degrees outside, she might pass out in the middle of the track as we're walking to the infield. Didn't this happen? Didn't you miss a concert because of this? Oh, uh, that was Jeremy. Jeremy missed the Avett Brothers show because his wife Uh. passed out at the Orioles game. That was the, there was the rain delay. It was going on forever, and his, his wife passed out, and it was his birthday, and all he wanted to do was see the Avett brothers so badly, and mm. she passed out, so that's a thing that occurred. All right, we'll talk more about the Preakness. Donna Brothers from NBC is going to join us next. We will get her thoughts on what to expect tomorrow. Uh, still to come this hour, our buddy Greg Rosenthal will join us as well. It is a Friday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans. Is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. 
answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore Police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point. Boulevard. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com stay tuned your chance to win a million dollars is coming up probably not from us you're listening to glenn clark radio all right back in here on gcr friday edition of the program today's show is also brought to you by glory days grill You only have about a week and a half to take advantage of the spring seasonal menu. It goes away at the end of May. What do you say? Get to glory days. I'll go back. I'll I'll re-workshop that one. The point is, it's delicious. The opener is the flash-fried pork belly with the Korean number two sauce. And then they don't call it the closer, but they should. It's the Cracker Jack Sunday with the waffle, the ice cream, and the Cracker Jacks, the strawberry salmon salad, the baseball cut sirloin. It's all available right now at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. Get your order in, glorydaysgrill.com. Preakness tomorrow joining us now from NBC. She is the great Donna Brothers, and she's with us here on GCR. Donna, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you, as always. Thank you for taking the time for us. Yeah, Glenn, always a pleasure. I love coming to Baltimore and love coming on the show with you. Well, Donna, let's start with, let's go back a couple of weeks, right? That was quite the scene after the race. Um, you you have a job to do. Take me through how that was unfolding in front of your eyes. Yeah, it was a little crazy. Um, so, as you know, it, it's traditional for the outrider to get a hold of the winning horse after all the big races, whether it's the Derby, Preakness, Belmont Stakes, or one of the uh, Breeders' Cup races and bring him back to the winner's circle. And part of the reason is to bring him back safely, right? Because when that winner comes galloping back in front of the crowd, the crowd erupts, and it's very easy for the horse to just spook and duck and drop the rider, and so you don't want to have a loose horse on the track. And so the outrider just traditionally gets a hold of the Kentucky Derby winner, and it's very nonchalant. Right. It just happens. This time, however, the Kentucky Derby winner decided to savage the outrider and his horse. He bit him repeatedly, in fact. You know, at the time, all I was watching was that the horse was trying to savage the outrider and his horse. I found out later that he did bite the outrider in his arm three times and his leg twice, 
got his horse repeatedly. He ended up with marks on his neck where you could see he really broke the skin. So it was really, really unusual, not something I've ever seen. Uh, I was a jockey for 12 years. I I galloped horses in the morning for for another 10 or 15 years, and I've just never seen anything like that, just that sort of sustained attack. And so, yes, we decided to abort mission on the (laughs) post-race interview and just go ahead and let the outrider, once he was able to finally get the horse under control, gallop back to the winner's circle. You know, obviously we're not going to, I mean, we're going we're gonna to get to the race and the horses that we are going to see. We're not going to see Rich Strike, of course, tomorrow. D- did you have any concerns about that specifically after the race? Or, you know, I remember talking to, to Eric Reed afterwards. He said, nah, this is just, this is the horse that thinks he's a fighter, right? Like, did, what, what was your reaction as you were watching that? Um, you mean, did, did I have concerns if he was going to run in the pre-tent? just Or just about the horse itself. Like, that this is not, that there's something that's not right about this. Yeah, it's bizarre. I'll tell you one of the things that, you, I went to Eric Reed's training center a few days after the Kentucky Derby, and I watched the horse train there, and Eric told me that when he got the horse, the horse was very intimidated by other horses. And so he started to train him differently. He would put two or three horses galloping in front of him, and he would make, the rider keep Rich Strike behind those horses, and toward the end of the gallop, he would let him pass the horses. And so he he taught him to sit behind horses, not be intimidated by them, and then he got to pass them late, and he got apparently too much confidence. And so after the race, when the outrider grabbed him, the way that Eric describes it, he thinks that, you know, Rich Strike felt like he had just done his job, he'd just passed all the horses, and that's when he's done, and he, you know, gets the... (laughs) go back to his stall and eat some grain. And instead, the outrider grabs a hold of him, and now he's behind the horse again, and so he needs to get past this horse. (laughs) So I think, you know, for some reason, it's just one of those things that was just a perfect storm. I think it's also worth noting that when I was at Eric Reed's training center, I did not notice a stable pony there at the farm. And so I don't think he typically, except for in the the warm-up going to the gate, is used to being with a, a, any kind of a stable pony after a gallop or a work, and a lot of the other horses are. Okay. All right. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, Donna, the, you know, how we measure, we know there's a big race coming up tomorrow. There's only three of these every year, and, and so obviously it's, it's huge. But there is the, the other side of it, which is there, there's disappointment. There has to be disappointment when you only get three of these every year, and the second one already loses a little bit of luster how, how do you measure that for the sport itself? The, the understanding of, hey, it's important to do what's best for the horses versus the disappointment of not having the same amount of excitement this week here in Baltimore as there would be if the Derby winner was running. Well, Glenn, I'm a pretty hardcore horse racing fan, so it's still very exciting for me. I, I would be lying if I, if I said that I wasn't a little bit disappointed when I heard that Bridge Strike wasn't going, and I honestly thought something must be wrong with him for him not to go. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to go see him train. But there's nothing wrong with him, and so I understand Eric Reed's philosophy behind why he's not going to do it. You know, he he told me, look, there's only been 13 Triple Crown winners, and did I really think my horse was going to win the Derby? No, I thought he was going to run well. And, and the plan was always, if he ran in the first half of the pack, would run him back five weeks later in the Belmont Stakes, and he said, and I feel like if we do that, shorten him up in distance to a distance that's not going to suit him, we take away that second uh, opportunity, the, the second opportunity for him to get a grade one win this year, which would be the Belmont Stakes. And so I felt like the reasoning was sound, the horse is sound. It will probably make for a more exciting Belmont Stakes, especially if Epicenter were to win the Preakness Stakes, yep. and then we've got the rubber match going into the Belmont Stakes. But for me, 
the Preakness Stakes is still super exciting. You've got the horse who was in front at the 16th pole, Epicenter, who was the favorite, and you've got the filly who won the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, would you know Hall of Fame trainer D. Wayne Lucas bringing her in at 86 years of age? There are still so many great stories, and it's still a great race and a great card. And, and so I'm still excited about it, but I do get that the casual fan is less excited when there's not a triple crown on the line. She is Donna Brothers from NBC. She's with us here on Glenn Clark Radio ahead of the Preakness tomorrow. Donna, you know, with that in mind, what you just said um, and what Eric told you, let's your, your colleague Randy Moss, I know, is one of the, the louder in the, hey, we need to separate these races. We have to do this. I admittedly am the type that says, but we just saw two horses win the Triple Crown. It's supposed to be hard to do this thing. Where are you as that discussion continues about separating these three races maybe a little bit more on the calendar? Well, Glenn, my colleague... Randy Moss has finally worn me down on this issue. Really? I'll be okay. Yes. Um, because I think he makes a really good argument. So I don't think that it would make it easier to win the Triple Crown. In fact, it might make it harder. So one of the, one of the, the points that he brings up is that you, you have a guy like Todd Pletcher who almost never brings his Kentucky Derby starters to the Preakness Stakes unless the horse won the Kentucky Derby. Other than that, he might bring a couple of new shooters to the Preakness Stakes but never has Kentucky Derby starters unless they won. And a lot of trainers do that, right? So if you spread those apart and make them four weeks apart, let's say first Saturday in May for the Derby, first Saturday in June for the Preakness Stakes, first Saturday in July for the Belmont Stakes, what you have in effect is that you're going to have a tougher race in the Preakness Stakes because you're going to have a lot more of the horses who yeah. ran in the Derby who are going to run back in four weeks but don't want to run back in two weeks. And it makes it a better day of racing for Pimlico in general because you get a lot, you know, there's a lot of stakes races on that weekend card at Churchill Downs. So you get a lot of those horses to come back into races like the Pimlico Special, the Black Eyed Susan. Mm -hmm. It's a fair, it's a fair argument, Donna. It's a fair, I, maybe this is me being the, the old man in the room and just sort of saying well, I don't like change, it, honestly, right? Honestly, you're in the majority. Yeah. I would say that 70% of people say leave it the way it is, but... I think that you have to, um, you know, sort of be bold if you're going to be great. And I think that the Triple Crown has the potential to be better than it is if we went to every four weeks rather than the current schedule. You mentioned Secret Oath. It is hard not to think about what happened with Mind That Bird, a huge upset in the Kentucky Derby, and then... Uh, you know, turning around and having an Oaks winner in Rachel Alexandra two weeks later in the Preakness. It's hard not to think of the parallels. And I know that the difference now being that the, the, the upset winner of the Derby is not going to be running in this race. Is, yeah. is Secret... It would have been almost identical. Right, if, right. If oh, what, what a story. Right came back. Is Secret Oath of that ilk, is, is this Philly potentially that good? Well, I'll tell you, when Wayne Lucas was asked that same question, sort of how she compares to some of the great fillies that he's trained, like Winning Colors and Althea and um, Serena Song, and the list goes on and on. He said she's going to have to do a little bit more to prove that she belongs in that league. And I feel the same way if you're going to compare it to Rachel Alexander. She's going to have to do a little bit more. But if she wins the Preakness, she's in that league. Yeah, I mean, clearly, right, at that point, <laughs> there's no question that she's in that league. I, we She's know. not there yet, though, Glendon. Right, I, and I get but that. But that doesn't mean she can't win. But in order for her to win, Epicenter has to not run her run his race. I don't. Okay. I, I mean, 
whoever wins the race has to get past Epicenter to win it. So let's talk about that. And we all know Epicenter is the overwhelming favorite, and we all saw a great run for Epicenter. There's no concern for you at all about the two-week turnaround for Epicenter. You believe that this horse is going to run just as well on the track tomorrow as, as the horse ran for the most of the race in Louisville. I believe in trainer Steve Asmussen. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame at a very young age for a reason. He's the leading trainer in North America by wins all time, and he's only 56 years old. And the immediate question after the Kentucky Derby, you know, the next day, Steve, are you going to run back in the Preakness? And Steve's answer was, we'll see how the horse comes back. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, he's back in the barn. Now what do you think? And, and he said, no, we'll take him to the track. We'll see how his energy level is. And so he came to the Preakness based on Steve's assessment of him a few days after the race. He didn't immediately commit to the Preakness stakes. He also didn't immediately roll it out, which some trainers did. But if Steve Asmussen said the horse is doing well, that's good enough for me. And I, I don't know if you watched our telecast for the Derby. I think I was the only one of our announcers who picked him. I loved him in the Kentucky Derby, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to get off of him now. Oh, and look, it's not like he didn't have a good run. He had a hell of a run in the Kentucky Derby. Like, exactly. Hey, I'm with you on that, Donna. So I, I am, if I want to put Epicenter and Secret Oath up top, who's the shooter that I can throw in? Who's the shooter that you say, this might be the way that maybe you could find uh, some money to be made if I'm uh, putting Okay, a... if you want to put Epicenter and who up top? And Secret Oath. Oh, I see. Um, well, I mean, the, the third choice in the program, or I'm sorry, the second choice in the program is early voting right. according to the morning line odds. And, and so I guess you've already decided early voting doesn't have a chance. I'm not so. saying, it's not, it's not even really that. Donna, it's more like I'm trying to find a creative way to make some money, and I just really want the other two to be. I, I don't, I don't pretend that I have any idea what's going to happen. I've, <laughs> other than, and when I was down there, and I'm sure we talked about it, um, the year that I was down when I used to do the show from Louisville, the only time I ever hit something that I feel good about was when I bumped into Calvin Burrell the day before, and he just kept saying, "Mr. Clock, Mr. Clock, I'm telling you, my horse loves the mud. My horse loves the mud," and I hit on mine that bird. And it was the, the best I've ever felt in my life. I don't pretend to know anything since that moment, <laughs> Donna. So well, I just okay, want to put those that, two in. So I need a third. Under that pretext, I'm going to say creative uh, minister because okay. this is a horse that Kenny McPeak is supplementing for $150,000. So back when the nominations of $600 were due to uh, nominate a horse for the Triple Crown, um, when those were due, creative minister had not even run in his first race yet. Now, he had been showing some talent, but... He just didn't think for a second that there was any way that he could make it into any of the Triple Crown races. But he has essentially brought the connections here because he's done so well, not just in his training, but you can see the results from his races. He's now had three starts, and in those three starts, he ran second in his first race but came back and won a nice race at Keeneland and then came back and won an allowance race at Churchill Downs. That was on Derby Day. So he's also a horse who's coming back in two weeks. But they put up $150,000 to um, show that they believe in this horse. And so I, I, I guess if I'm going to try to look for a long shot, my money's going to be where the $150,000 okay. supplement went. Okay. That's an awful, you're saying it's an awful lot of confidence, right? Like it's an awful yeah. lot of, I, I'll, I'll listen to that. I was hoping, and I have no reason for this, this is where I go back to just being a, a dumb guy that will show up for a horse race tomorrow. I was really rooting for you to say Skippy Longstocking just because I like the name Skippy Longstocking. But I have no reason. you know reason. how you got the name? No, I don't. It, it, so it's not because of Pippi Longstocking. Um, the the owner of the horse uh, has a, a childhood buddy who who's they, they would just call each other Skippy. The, the owner's Daniel Alonzo. Okay. And 
when they were kids, like eight, nine, ten years old, we're talking 30 years ago, he said that we just called each other Skippy. And then one day, somebody said Skippy Longstocking, and it just changed to either Skippy or Skippy Longstocking. And he said that, you know, 30 years later, when it came time to name this horse, he thought, why not Skippy Longstocking? So ah, it's also a good name. All, all in. All in. I'm going to find a way <laughs> somehow to throw Skippy Longstocking into something that I bet tomorrow. Do it. That's going to happen. It. You'll regret it if you don't. Uh, of course, NBC for coverage of the Preakness tomorrow. At Donna B. Brothers on Twitter is how you follow her. Donna, is there anything else that we can plug for you? Oh, gosh. Um, you know what? If... I mean, I feel like I have been in horse, well, I know I've been in horse racing my entire life, and so I feel like I'm an ambassador for horse racing, so the only thing I'd like for you to plug for me is for people to come out to the track, and if you can't come to the track, watch the show, because one of the things that we learned during COVID, when horse racing was kind of the only game in town for a while, is that when people actually watched horse racing, and then when they bet a little bit or participated or felt like they had some sort of a, um, a stake in the game... They loved it, and so our attendance is up, our, our fan base is up, the handle is up, and, and that's because horse racing is really, truly an exciting sport. And so if you can't come to the races, watch us on TV. It really is, actually, and, I'm, and this is not just me. I've said this millions of times with these. The only disappointing part about being at the races is that we don't get to watch your coverage because you, there is no sport that any – what you all do is a network to make a three-minute event so damn compelling over the course of three <laughs> hours is unbelievable and there is no comparison in all of sports to the That's coverage that you all do uh, well Don- thank you glenn i appreciate that and by the way come to the track and set your dvr how's that That's yeah, true and go back and watch it later and by the way <laughs> by, how many times do you think i've watched gone back and rewatched um uh the, the kentucky derby and, and larry all of a sudden that overhead shot that has just become the most popular thing to be shared on social media because it was such an impossible yeah that was run. a really cool shot that, when you could see exactly the move that sunny leon made on that horse no and, doubt and you could also see that epicenter had no excuses no doubt donna always a pleasure thank you so much for taking the time for us look forward to seeing you out there tomorrow all right anytime glenn happy preakness thank you donna brothers nbc checking in with us here on gcr always appreciate her taking the time all right when we come back in um we'll talk some football and we'll definitely talk some french open from the very popular courts of thunder podcast greg rosenthal i hear he's also with nfl network whatever he'll join us next this is glenn clark radio Hey O's fans, 2022 Orioles single game tickets are on sale now. Come celebrate the 30th anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards with tickets starting as low as $10. Relive your favorite moments and make new memories this season. Choose from your favorite homestands when the O's take on the New York Yankees, Washington Nationals, and Boston Red Sox. Or fan favorite giveaways like Birdland Hawaiian shirt and collectible bobbleheads. Experience the ballpark that forever changed baseball. Buy now at Orioles.com tickets. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MD gamblinghelp.org. That first sip. 
That first bite mm, starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash-fried pork belly with our popular Korean number 2 sauce, and take a bite out of the Crunch Burger topped with home-run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. The 2022 baseball season is in full swing, and the future is brighter than ever for your Baltimore Orioles. I'm Paul Valley, And I'm Zach Goodman. And together we bring you the bat around every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon with everything you need to know about the Orioles and baseball as a whole. From veterans like Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Ryan Mountcastle, to young stars like Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall. We've got you covered for every game, every pitch, and every debut. You can watch us at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and facebook.com slash pressbox sports or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio so join us live on the bat around every saturday from 10 a.m to noon right here at Pressbox sports the toyota tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines you can choose the perfect toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new tacomas from your local toyota dealer today if you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon Podcast. It's Glenn Clark Radio. A couple of responses that came in earlier today. John and Little Rock, I didn't really learn anything more about the Rutschman delay from the interview. We said that. There was nothing that Pete Michoud said to us that made it made more sense. Uh, followed up by saying they do nothing right. Why do we expect them to get the Rutschman deal correct? That's, uh, of course, a little unfair, John. It's not like they don't do anything right. That's, that's unfair to say. That being said... What I do think is true is when an organization has had as many missteps as the Orioles have, that it's going to lead to there being this sort of a natural instinct to assume the worst. And when the panic that people like Paul and others are feeling about this just being about Super 2, I, I hate the thought, but I get it. I understand why we're going there because their track record ain't great. Dan Connolly says... He has in his reporting it's not about the Super Two thing. Okay, but you just can't make it make sense. There's nothing that I have been told that makes it make sense otherwise. Every reasonable point of well, yeah, but he wasn't off to the great the greatest offensive start. Right, but we also know that he gobbled up triple A pitching a year ago. And you said he would have been here on opening day, so why did he need to dominate at triple A again? You can't make all of these things make sense. Uh, Casey, Sam Cook is a family man. He has kids in school that he doesn't want to disrupt their lives. He loves coaching and already does it at Winter's Mill. That's it. Move on. Well, what, what did I say that was any... That's almost literally exactly what I said. Casey? Did I say something different than that? I'm pretty sure what exactly I said was he'd rather be here doing this than be in Detroit punting while his whole family is here. The exact same point. 
That's literally what I said. I don't know what, what do you mean, move on. That's what I said. Okay. And God bless. I'm happy for I love Sam. Everybody knows that. I he, he tried to make me the president of the uh, Get Sam Cook to the Pro Bowl Club one year. He literally asked me to lead a campaign when he was struggling to get through the Pro Bowl. He said, could you please start a campaign? And he was kind of being tongue-in-cheek about it because he's just not the type that really cares about these things. But he, he said to me, can you start that campaign? I was like, I'm all over it. And we failed, and he fired me. And it was well, a whole thing. Well, Glenn, he's retired now. Move on. I, I just I'm so confused by what I said that was wrong. <laughs> Sorry, Casey. I'm not. I'm not Jordan sure. Stouter bust. Right. What did I say that was so offensive? I'm so confused by it. All right, uh, joining us now, the host of the extraordinary popular show Courts of Thunder, the number two sports podcast in the entire Dominican Republic, and I believe number one in Serbia at one point. Uh, I also hear he's on some television channel called like the niffle network i don't know he is my buddy greg rosenthal and he's back with us now here on gcr what's going on pal how are you hey it is good to talk to uh my, my courts of thunder call you should point out you're on that show too you oh am, am i am i still on that <laughs> um so for the average per and i don't want to give away our entire episode i want people to go listen so we're not gonna we go far deeper than this but let's talk about here the two big storylines going into the French Open. The first, of course, being that the I don't know that the casual sports fan still really knows who Carlos Alcaraz is, and he is by far, on the men's side, the most important storyline going into this French Open. Well, I think there's two most important storylines. It's him and Iga. You're always trying to... I said on the men's, I said on the men's side. I said oh, okay. that. Okay, no, you're right. Um, and that's why I'm so excited about this. I like that you're trying not to give spoilers to yeah. like a podcast episode about tennis. Just any anything that gets anyone thinking about tennis, I'd be excited. Alcaraz is the best young player that I think me or you have seen since Nadal, Federer, yes. and Djokovic. That's yes. just that's just the end of it. And to me, there's something about his style of play that he's just an extremely entertaining player to watch. So the combination of that. Uh, and now we're here where Djokovic could win this tournament, Dalt could win this tournament, Alcaraz could win this tournament, and they're all in the same half of the draw, which is very annoying to me. I wanted the big final, yep. and we're not going to get that in the final. No, we're not, and that's a bummer. Um, but, you know, we, we could get Alcaraz playing Nadal or Djokovic and Tsitsipas on, on, on consecutive days and, you know, breaking through to win his first slam, and I think that would be... I, I do think that this is a transcendent moment. And that's why it's such a big deal to me, is I think this is the transcendent moment for the rest of the world to realize why it is that, that those of us that care about the sport feel so strongly about this. Absolutely, but that's why that's all the more reason why I want that Alcaraz the final, right. the winner of yeah. Nadal and Djokovic in the yeah. final when everyone's watching on Sunday instead yeah. of uh, Friday afternoon. And it, it's going to be tough for, for either Nadal or Djokovic. They really got the worst possible draw. It was yeah. unfair. Uh, ultimately, tennis is just random sometimes with the way the seeds fall. And now one of those two guys is going to have to try to beat each other, which will be a war, and then most likely beat Alcaraz. And then, oh, by the way, go win a final, too. Which, you know, that, that trying to do all three of those, that's sometimes how Grand Slams are won, uh, is, is when you get too hard of a draw in a row. That would be very hard. And to your point, on the other... On the women's draw, the story is, of course, Iga Sviantek. And again, the casual fan has no idea that Iga Sviantek is currently in the midst of doing something 
literally that has never been seen before in the history of the sport. She has won 28 straight matches. She has won four straight tournaments and then some Davis Cup uh, stuff or some, some international stuff. Uh, on hard court, on clay court, this is bet, you know, she's only lost one set in this entire time. So I know it hasn't been at the Grand Slams, and that's why I'm excited to see her do it here. But she is playing as well as any woman I've ever seen play tennis it's, at the moment, which it's, is just, it's just crazy to see. It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers, why, which is why it's such a shame that she's going to lose to Paola Bedosa uh, in the final. It's just a real bummer that it's not <laughs> going to work girl. out. It's not going to work out The number her. three seed, I mean, she's come up. She's come up pretty quickly, Paula, your girl, Paula Bedosa. Love me, some, love me some Paula Bedosa. Um, these, of course, the, the players that we're talking about aren't the name, the brand superstars. And I think that's the thing that is difficult for the rest of the world is that, like, they're like, hey, tell me what's going on with, you know, for years it's been tell me what's going on with Serena. Tell me what's going on with Venus. Tell me what's going on with Roger Federer. Tell me what's going on now with Naomi Osaka. And, like, Naomi's the first name on that list that we're even getting to that's going to be a part of this tournament. Um, it, this is a, it's a tricky moment because to me, I think this is a wonderful tournament for people to care about tennis. It's a tougher ask for the casual fan going into this French Open. Well, you know, you have, yeah, Osaka's got a very tough first round match against another, against an American, um, Anisimova, yep. who is a riser, is going to be, I think, a top 10 player this year, a young American who's got a chance to win, to win Grand Slams, I, I believe. Um, and you still got Nadal and Djokovic, though. I mean, you have Djokovic coming off of um, what's been a loss four or five months because he doesn't want to get vaccinated, but he just won Rome, and he is looking pretty good. And and I just have a hard time, even though you love Alcaraz, not considering Rafael Nadal the favorite to win the French Open, even with a foot injury that he's been playing through and not really looking quite like himself. He still has more uh, ranking points, Glenn, uh, this year than anyone. Yeah, that's... Like he's he he has he could be the number one player in the world by the end of the year, which would be incredible. I, I, and look, so I just never count him out. You and I talked about how he his story was the story of the first couple of months of the year. It's insane. And no, I'm not. And I, I've told you, I, again, we'll give it away on Courts of Thunder. I will say I think there are four men that can win the French Open, which everybody else would say, boy, that's not a very big number. Well, in tennis, that actually is kind of a big number, right? Like, it is a bit more open than maybe some other tournaments have been where we thought there were maybe one or two people that were capable of winning them. Um, no, I, I still think Nadal is a factor. I'm just very much shook by seeing him lose and blow a set lead against Denis Shapovalov on clay. I can't... I'm, sh I'm shaken by that. That's not something that's supposed to happen with Rafael Nadal. No, but he does. He's sort of like a... I don't know, a boxer or it's like one of those, you know, veteran NBA teams that like struggle during the regular season. And then once the playoffs start, uh, you're like, oh, they're champions again. It's like the okie doke. And I, I have learned over the years, never, ever doubt Rafael Nadal in France. I still, I still think he's a slight favorite. Ah, I can't, I can't join you there because Carlos Alcaraz exists, and because everybody on the planet is going to be talking about him, there, no one is going to care about anything more than Carlos Alcaraz. Two weeks and two days from this moment, book it. <laughs> That's the way it's going to be. Um, you can find out more about the French Open draw by listening to Courts of Thunder, which is available wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll have it up on YouTube uh, here in a second. Just search Courts of Thunder on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, wherever it is that you go to get your podcasts, you will find Courts of Thunder right there. 
Uh, can I assume that you are uh, diving in for the big uh, Sam Cooke uh, honor version of Around the NFL, that you're going to spend an hour chatting about nothing but the greatness of the Baltimore Ravens' uh, future Hall of Fame punter? It was really poor timing uh, for us because we had just saved before we found out oh. the timing. Oh. That gives us more time, actually, to blow out uh, Monday's show. That's so a great that, point. It'll be, be nothing but coverage of the career, the life and time. I assume I, 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 there'll be a musical tribute in there, I'm going to guess, uh, to the greatness <laughs> of Sam Cooke. I was trying to explain this earlier. Like, I, It is so ungodly difficult for a specialist. Like, We're all convinced here that Justin Tucker is going to get into the Hall of Fame one day, right? Like, we're convinced of uh, that. He will. Yes. He will. And, and I, by the way, like there have been multiple voters that have said to me that they genuinely think he has a chance to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I'll believe that when I see that, right? This is still a specialist that we're talking about. Um, I, I, Sam Cooke, who's been a hell of a punter and really has revolutionized the concept, he was a one-time All-Pro. And, and it's, God bless all of the people within the Ravens organization and Brian Billick that are going to bat and saying, I think you should be a Hall of Fame. It just doesn't work that way. Like, this doesn't ha- – hunters don't get into the Hall of Fame with the exception of Ray Guy. I mean, I don't think there's much of a chance. You said the All-Pro. Tell me how he revolutionized. Like, I, I'm a football fan. I don't think the average – football fan understands that okay so this was a story and, and frankly we here didn't really even know about it sam cook years ago he and randy brown worked together on coming up with this concept of a of a a golf bag of various punts that you go to in certain situations and got to the point where sam cook ended up having 30 some different types of punts that he could deliver based on the situation based on wherever he was and we watched as punters since that point have said, I have started to learn different ways. It's like pitchers anymore. It's like learning different pitches. I had never considered a different way to punt the football than just punting it. And I had to come up and learn what it was that Sam Cook was doing. And so in different situations on the field, he could deliver a different type of punt. This golf bag concept is the way they described it really has changed the art of punting. It's just that nobody gives a rat's ass because it's punting that we're talking about. Well, and he's, and he's great at it. I mean, I'm sure Bill Belichick has been very jealous over the years that, that Sam Cooke was not on the Patriots. He is Mr. Punter. I don't think anyone is in, into punting in the history of the sport more than Bill Belichick. Uh, and you see, like, the coach respect that, that tweet from Tomlin. Like, that's because Tomlin knows. You know, Tomlin, right. Tomlin knows what a difference it was. Uh, going up against that dude, but I also, yeah, we just got a punter in for the first time yes, ever. it ain't happening. Uh, yeah. and, that, and that was a bit of a random choice, too. Like, he was famous, but not necessarily the best punter ever, so uh, I think it's a, it's a tough ask. It's a tough ask. Uh, is there a receiver left in this market that you would take a chance on if you're the Baltimore Ravens and the, uh, the four receivers I, on your roster have combined for a career 1,227 receiving yards? You know, when they traded Marquise Brown, I thought the Ravens may probably see Devin Duvernay a little more like I've thought, which is that he could probably replace more of Marquise Brown than you think, like 80% of Marquise Brown. Uh, but to answer your question, I wish I had a list in front of me. Other than OBJ, right. um, none are popping off. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's Julio and Jones and Will Fuller and T.Y. Hilton and, and Deshaun Jackson and, you know, it, yeah, Emmanuel Sanders. I, I, look. OBJ would change your team, and he'd be ready by the time the games really matter. I think that would be an outstanding move. I think Will Fuller, 
is a huge difference maker. You probably aren't going to get anything out. You might get nothing out of him. Right. He might not he seems play. like a mess. <laughs> Suspension, injuries, all that stuff. Um, when he's on the field, he's one of the 25 most valuable wide receivers in football. He's a much better player than just his stats. So, so both of those guys would be worth swings. I'm not sure what Julio is going to give you at this point. Uh, but he's probably better than what you have, too. So, like, yes, they need to sign someone. Yeah, and I'm at the point, but it's, it's so funny what you said right there. I have no thought that Julio Jones can be Julio Jones. But, damn it, like, it, why not pick up a lottery ticket at this point? Uh, yeah, and to me, he wouldn't even be a lottery ticket. What he would be is a guy who would be where you, know, you wanted him to be on third down and make some contested catches and maybe catch... 50 balls for 600 yards. But at this point, they could they could use a guy like that. I agree. So that's fine. You I know, agree. You know, and and just a, a, the veteran in the room at this point, I think they could use. I think that that's, that, you know, there's something to be said for that. Um, what What's going to happen with Deshaun Watson before I let you go? I have no idea. Yeah? I really don't. Okay. All right. All right. The longer it goes, the more skeptical I am that it's going to be this really long suspension, but I have no idea. I have no feel on this. I, I it's it's just it still disturbs me in a lot of ways, but you know we'll save that conversation for another day. Yeah. At Greg Rosenthal is how you follow him. Uh, of course, around the NFL, and where else might we be seeing you on the NFL Network? Uh, that's it for now. Guess okay. It's quiet. Yeah, you know, I guess I guess quiet. it's not that type of year. Not not the time we of just, year. Uh, we just stopped doing our our shows, you know, for the most part until training camp. Other than our podcast, the podcast is all we care about. Right. So check that out. All right, around the NFL, and of course, most importantly, Courts of Thunder, available wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate you, brother. We'll talk to you. Uh, we'll be talking next week, of course. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Looking right, forward to it. Greg Rosenthal checking in with us here on GCR. Again, uh, our show, Courts of Thunder, is available right now, the French Open preview, and I just haven't had a chance, and I apologize. I just, I, I, it's on me. It's my job to put it on YouTube. And I just didn't get a chance to last night. So I'll get it on YouTube today. The uh, French Open preview version of Courts of Thunder. Today's show also brought to you by the print issue of PressBox, which is available for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms and at the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox. Read it all. PressBoxOnline.com. On the cover, you see Adley Rutschman. We've talked a little bit about him during the course of the morning. He, I think, is going to be the Orioles catcher at some point. I hope. It'd be really swell if he was. Maybe not. I mean, I, what, what if he's not? Right. We gotta what if they trade him for Juan Soto? Oh, no. But they're, they're paying the $500 million to sign Juan Soto? No. They'll, they'll take him to arbitration <laughs> yeah, right. and let him walk. Go get this right now at your neighborhood Royal Farms. Any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox. Read it all. PressBoxOnline.com. Great story from Luke Jackson. All about Adley Rutschman. Him as a leader. What it is he brings to the table. You can go pick that up right now. Um... Just for a minute here, Paul, of course, is moving on. Paul, I did order you a Limp Biscuit t-shirt. It didn't make it in in time. I'm sorry, nah. but you'll at some point you will have that. That's uh, my gift to you. Um, I will wear it. I'll wear <laughs> it to the gym. Disturbs me so much. Uh, is it? Is it? Is it the cover me. of their first album? Uh, I was looking. You know, it's so funny. I looked for that, but I did not find that. Um, I, 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 you know, Paul's going to be around doing the bait. By the way, what's coming up on the bat around tomorrow? Uh, on the bat around, we have Stan, but then we have Gunnar Henderson, and Ooh, we have uh, Mike Bordick. Okay, there you go. That's tomorrow morning on the bat around. Um, so, uh, yeah, Paul came in here, and uh, it certainly, 
I want to say I don't want to say kept things rolling because it seems like I'm di- I'm, I'm diminishing uh, his role here, but um, you know we had not had another been the two of us, Kyle and I, for seven years, and whenever there's any sort of change, it's always you never you don't know what you're getting, um, and there was a part of me that when Kyle decided he was going to leave, there you know we had conversations here about. Do we change the way we do the show? Do we just stop doing the show? Do we? Those conversations came up um, internally when Kyle decided it was time for him to move on, and um, you know the fact that that Paul had been here and was excited about it and and said, "Hey, I want to be a part of this thing and I want to I want to keep going," um, is part of the, the reason why we did. I mean, like I, I mean, honestly, there was a thought that we maybe don't continued just doing the show that we had done um and paul it wasn't a long time it was a i remember there was uh who was it? michael che before he was on saturday night live michael che was briefly on the daily show and i remember like whenever somebody would leave the daily show for like a, a big hollywood gig or something like that they would try to do a fun look back on their time with the daily show well michael che had probably been there for all of about like four months and tongue-in-cheek on the Daily Show, they were like, "Let's do our big tribute to Michael Che." And Michael Che was like, "This was like a cool summer job." <laughs> like <laughs> they were going on about his legacy and all his impact and all that. Paul wasn't with us for a very long time, but um, I have no legacy. Yeah, oh yeah, we'll never remember anything. Uh, by Monday, I'll forgotten what your name is. Yeah. Um, but very appreciative of the um, the fact that he was the first post Kyle, and that sort of said, "Hey, we can shepherd this moving forward." And this thing can can remain afloat and um, and and thrive and have the millions upon millions of listeners that we have every day. So very appreciative of uh, all your hard work, Paul. And we'll look forward to the bat around continuing every Saturday. And um, you know, this is the part where I think you say, "I changed your life," <laughs> and you start weeping overwhelmingly. And I think that's what we do here, right? Nah, nah. So, so honestly, honestly, um, like I like I said to you when I talked to you and John a few weeks back, um, it was it, this is this is heartbreaking in a in a way for me um, because I was super excited to get on the show and I've been super excited to do this show and it's cool to get up every morning and know that you're going to be working in sports and it was nothing more than. I need to do what's best for my family. And I'm not going to lie, I'm an emotional guy, and I, I, I got choked up on the way here today because I'm getting choked up now. I mean, it, this, is, this is my dream. This is what I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you lose a bit of your identity when you decide not to do that anymore. And, I'm, and I still have, and like John said, I still have my finger in it. I'm still doing my Orioles shows. I'm still doing the bat around here. Um, but it's a decision to do something that I never thought I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's and that's hard. Mm-hmm. And and trust me, one of the one of the biggest fears for me was having to tell you after such a short period, "Hey, I gotta go." No, well, look, but after I, I mean, after I gave you the fifty lashes, we were all yeah. fine. I mean, yeah, no, like, and you got you guys made it easier for me. I, I was I was really nervous, and you guys made it easy. Uh, certainly, under everybody, you always encourage people to um to to do what's best for you. And like this is, I say this all the time when like someone tries to judge a kid who decides to leave school to play basketball, and you're like, that kid's not even going to go in the NBA draft. Who are you to decide what's best for somebody? It's insane. Like, it's nuts the way that we think we're in a place to judge what someone else's best decisions are. We have no clue. 
um, I'll always support people doing what's best for them and their lives and, and all of that. And so um, we're appreciative. And uh, Griffin, don't F it up. Don't F it up. Because if you're the one who brings this whole thing down, then I don't know, man. We might have to burn you at the stake. I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Uh, but don't F it up. No pressure. Uh, Paul, very appreciative of all your hard work. Um, even if it wasn't for a very long time, it was a lot of hard work. I know how difficult the job can be. I know that um, it's odd hours and, and, and things that you got to deal with and stressful. And what we're trying to do, we're very much a little engine that could here. There is not the staff you see is the staff that exists. There is not a behind-the-scenes staff that keeps this afloat. Um, I've mentioned that we've had Ryan helping out a little bit, um, and we've appreciated that. And uh, Lil Jordan still helps out a little bit with some of the video stuff that we do, but that's not really for the show necessarily as much as sharing it out on social. We have a we don't have a behind the scenes staff. This is it. I mean, this is it. This is what you got. So it is hard work. And somebody would say, Yeah, we noticed. We noticed you don't have much of a staff because it comes across. I get it. Um, we've got what we've got, and we work our butt off in order to try to bring you the best content and coverage that we possibly can. And uh, Paul understood that when he took the job, and he did a great job of uh, rolling with that during his time with us. And We'll look forward to seeing what comes for him uh, moving forward with the bat around. I appreciate every opportunity you've ever provided for me. And, and, and Griffin, try to stay longer than seven months. Well, I mean, if you got an opportunity, <laughs> if, if Griffin's like, hey, I can go be the dodgeball coach at uh, at the University of Cincinnati, and since they kick my ass, i got to go back. I would and never coach at Cincinnati. Well, what if, Just, you know, I would, I, if I coach, it would be with Towson. <laughs> listen, listen to him. Like, it's a lucrative opportunity. <laughs> Just get that six-figure job as the dodgeball coach. We hate Cincinnati. You can hate Cincinnati all you want. If they want to pay you real money to go be a dodgeball coach, you'd be nuts not to take it. No, I, I can't. You I say, don't know. Stop. I, Imagine doing until this. I, until I see Eli, Eli Manning over here Griff, picking and choosing. Griffin's doing this right now. Cincinnati calls and says, we'll offer you $100,000 to be the dodgeball coach. And he's like, I'm just, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm going to go right back to being the part-time producer of an internet radio show dope you dope i'm telling you, don't you understand what's best how for bad you. cincinnati is what do you mean how bad they are you, you didn't play you didn't play against them all season what does that even mean so but then you can just take them from the depths yeah, of you hell be the bring coach. them to, to, to prominence no i would i would i would take no money to coach a towson and bury cincinnati <laughs> Oh, all right. He's very fiery. Up, yeah. Very worked yeah, up. Yeah. He's still not over the fact that he got his ass kicked by Cincinnati this year. Didn't get our, We lost an overhead. It was a close game. We should have won. It was. It's, no, that's I, not what I, I heard. Go, I could talk about it. I, I, I heard other things. I heard you're the reason that you guys lost. Yeah, that's I heard that, that you let everybody down, frankly. That's I don't know who I told heard. you that ball. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thankfully, I bet on Cincinnati that day. And if you're looking for advice about betting, Simply the Bets is the place to find it. Every Tuesday morning at 11.40 a.m., every other Thursday at 11.40 a.m. for Weekend at Bookies. Simply the Bets, Weekend at Bookies, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. Here's the final tidbit from Paul. Tidbit's going to uh, – Griffin and I were starting to lay out plans. We're going to keep doing tidbit because tidbit predates. We're probably going to do away with the opener of the show, at least for now. We're probably going to do away with that. We're going to start looking for other things that Griffin can bring to the table. We're not going to do the one-minute man thing necessarily because that was about how badly Paul cares. Um, but we will look for – we will start as it, organically, the way the one-minute man thing came up organically. 
we'll look for organic ways that Griffin can be more involved and do some more things. But for now, for sure, he'll continue doing uh, tidbit and trivia. Tidbit brought to you today by the Baltimore Police. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police. Make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good. BPDrecruit.org. So yesterday, Anthony Santander had himself an afternoon. He went three for four. He had two doubles, the walk-off home run, another walk. He drove in three, eight total bases on the afternoon. And while that is a fair number of total bases in a game, it is not even close to the record of total bases in a game, which is held by one Cal Ripken Jr. and one Eddie Murray. Mm. Cal, on June 13, 1999, went six for six with two home runs, a double and three singles for 13 total bases. How about that? And Eddie, on August 26, 1985, versus the Angels, went four for five with three home runs, a single, and also 13 total bases. With that in mind, who are the top ten Orioles in single-season total bases of all time? Single-season total bases. I was going to do top five, but that was not enough. So I'm going to still 10. assume Frank's triple crown year. He is fourth with 367 in 1966. Um, single season total bases. Uh, uh, Chris Davis. Chris Davis is number one, 370 in 2013. It's amazing. The first four are all separated by one digit each. Well, that's kind of random. Yeah, th- right? 370, 369, 368, 367. Um. So you've got so, one and you got four. So uh, Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray is not on the list. That's a little surprising. Uh, Brady Anderson's fifty home run season. He is number two all time, three hundred and sixty nine in nineteen ninety six. Hauser's bouts. The Miguel Tejada year. Uh, Miguel Tejada is on the list twice. He is sixth overall, 349 in 2004. That was the big one. And he is 10th all-time with 337 in 2005. Kind of blur out 2005 for the most part. That season, they started out like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Still the only team in... in, in oh, was it 4-32, and 32, was that? No, no, that was, that was 2002. Was they started Two that was year... What was 05? 05 uh, was when oh, they were in first place going towards the All-Star break. Of, uh, 2005, they became the first team in Major League history, yeah. I still think the only team, to be at one point in the season 14 games above 500 yeah. and finish the season 14 games below yeah. 500. Yeah. Oh, and I'm sorry, Cal Ripken was on the list twice also. He oh, did it okay. in 1983, 343. How about Rafi? Rafi is also on the list twice. Fifth all-time with 350 in 1998, and eighth all-time with 342 in 1996. How many am I missing? You are missing one. Machado. Manny Machado, 341 in 2016, ninth all-time. Very good. Very solid final tidbit and trivia. Let's get Tubular. Tubular brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, where all of the big events this month, the playoffs, you can watch the Preakness tomorrow. Unfortunately, can't bet on it. It's just the nature of the state's laws where they want you to bet at the tracks. Um, But, you know, the final round of the PGA Championship on Sunday, I hear people care about that. I still I don't even know what's going on today, but Rory McIlroy had a nice little day yesterday. John Daly was having himself a day for a minute, and then, you know, that was always going to end at some point. That's just the nature of the beast. But the final round of the PGA Championship on Sunday, next weekend, Indianapolis 500, as well as the Gervonta Davis-Rolando Romero fight, as well 
as the UEFA Champions League final, as well as the NCAA Lacrosse Championship. All of those events, the best place to be is the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel with 61 self-service kiosks. Reserve your spot for any of those events by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. Here's coming up this weekend, and it's a lot. Uh, today, Black Eyed Susan stakes coverage at 5 o'clock on USA. Rays Orioles, 7 o'clock. Jalen Beeks, whatever that is, against Tyler Wells on Masson. Um, Maryland and Purdue baseball at 5 o'clock on Big Ten Network. Maryland has already set the record for their most single-season wins in school history. Tonight on LAC Sports Network and MeTV, that's WBAL sub-channel, the A-Conference lacrosse finals, St. Mary's and McDonough at 7.30. Western Conference finals, game two, Mavericks-Warriors at 9 o'clock on TNT. PGA Championship coverage right now on ESPN+. Plus. It moves to ESPN at 2 o'clock. Then tonight, Rangers-Hurricanes game two at 8. Oilers-Flames game two at 10.30. Tomorrow, Preakness coverage. The race itself is at right about 7 o'clock. On NBC. Coverage begins at 4. WBAL will have coverage before that, like starting at about 1 o'clock locally um, if for Preakness if you're not going. Mrs. Clark should be three sheets of the wind by then. The, there, Mrs. Clark, yeah, by the time the coverage starts at 4 o'clock, there's no, she will not make it to the start of the NBC broadcast window. Uh, I, thought there was a, I thought you said there was a 1 o'clock. There's a 1 o'clock for WBAL. She might still be with us by that point. But by that point, we might not have gone outside yet. When you know how this goes, when you're day drinking and the sun's out and it's hot, the moment you're outside, you're asleep. You die. You're done. Game, ball game. Dunsky. Especially at a certain age. And Mrs. Clark and I have reached that age by a few years. Dunsky. Zip, zippy chance she makes it to the 4 o'clock NBC broadcast window. In fact, it's better if she doesn't because then she could nap up. We're sitting in the nice seats, so I don't know if they'll provide her like a pillow or something like that. I don't know if that comes with the open bar. Oh, that's your shoulder, like, home. Oh, there's definitely well, but I I don't. We're at like tables, oh. so it's sort of like a banquet kind of area. So I don't know how that'll work. We'll figure it out. It'll be a way for you to take off your suit jacket, and she can use that. Ah, great point. Although I'm still hoping that I accidentally forget it in the car or something <laughs> like that. Um, but yes, there's zero chance that she makes it to the broadcast window on NBC. Uh, anyway, that's the Preakness tomorrow. Rays Orioles tomorrow at 7. Jeffrey Springs. Who are, who are these guys? They're the Rays. They have pit. Who is Jalen Beeks and Jeffrey you, Springs? You, you got me. You're the they, baseball they, they guy. They probably have one and a half ERAs. Though. Probably. Uh, he faces Kyle Bradish tomorrow at 7 on Masson. Uh, what else matters tomorrow? Again, Maryland on TV tomorrow against Purdue at 1 o'clock on Big Ten Network. The lacrosse quarterfinals tomorrow on ESPNU. Penn Rutgers at noon. Princeton Yale at 2.30. Eastern Conference Finals, Game 3 tomorrow night. Heat Celtics at 8.30. TNT for Avalanche Blues tomorrow night at 8. That's Game 3 of that series. Everything else tomorrow, glennclarkradio.com. Sunday, lacrosse, ESPNU, Cornell, Delaware at noon. And then Maryland, Virginia at 2.30. That's the big em. Masson on Sunday, Rays Orioles at 1.30. Corey Kluber. I've heard of him. I think he actually stinks this year, doesn't he? Isn't he been? Uh, 4 2 9. It's not so good. Spencer Watkins goes for the birds in the finale. 
Uh, ESPN on Sunday afternoon hockey Panthers lightning game three at 1:30. hurricanes Rangers game three at 3:30. of course you can't be watching that because you'll be listening to uh, Reed and Glenn on 105.7 the fan TNT Sunday night for game three of the Western Conference Finals Warriors Mavericks at nine o'clock ESPN two Sunday night for game three for the Flames and Oilers at eight PJ championship coverage for the weekend is on ESPN in the morning and then when the leaders play it'll be on CBS so tomorrow at one o'clock and Sunday at one o'clock as well and the French Open gets underway on Sunday morning action on the tennis channel at 5 a.m. and then it shifts to NBC at one o'clock and then it's decision day in the Premier League on Sunday as well and so I think the all the matches that matter will be on various uh, NBC networks on Sunday morning. Non-sports-wise, anything that stands out? Uh, by the way, Jalen Beeks, 1-0 with a 1.72 ERA. And Jeffrey Springs, 1-1 one one with a 1.66 ERA. Of course they are. Of yeah. course that, they That's are. how it goes, Tampa and Bay. We'll all know about them by next year, and then they'll be pitching in Los Angeles. Probably. That's the way it goes. Yeah, that's how it always yep. goes. All right, Shaquille O'Neal is going to be on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert tonight at 11.35. Uh, Ryan Seacrest going to be on Jimmy Kimmel Live as well tonight. Uh, new Netflix film... Um, F Love 2, to put it lightly, there's an, a little asterisk in there. Okay. Uh, Jackass 4.5 comes out. Wait, wait, when's Stranger Things? Stranger Things, I think, starts next, next Friday. Next weekend? Ne- <sighs> next Friday. I mean, it's probably for the best. I got a lot going on this And weekend. then on Disney Plus, the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers premiere tonight. Tomorrow, Saturday Night Live, hosted by Natasha Leon or Lyon? Leon. Leon. Uh, from, with, uh, with what's that, Russian Doll? And uh, Of course, you remember Natasha Leon famously from uh, American, American Pie. Pie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then and Blade uh, Blade Trinity, um, and then Japanese Breakfast is a musical guest on Saturday Night Live. The season finale night. of Saturday Night Live. Is it really? Yes, I it didn't is. know they had season finale. They do. Well, you think they just keep going all summer? Uh, WWE no. goes, keeps going. But it's a very different concept, I think. Fair enough. Um, and then on Sunday, you've got the Time Traveler's Wife at nine o'clock, uh, and then you have Barry at ten and the Baby at ten thirty, all on HBO. Um, Stuff and things. Nothing that's interesting. Apparently a two-parter. I just realized that um, Better Call Saul is also a two-parter. So, like, next week is the 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 finale of the first part uh, of the final season really? for Better Call Saul. Apparently. Damn it. Why do they keep touring our emotions? What, do we have to wait till this time next year for the I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. They just... I caught that in when I was watching it. I caught that they said on the... The, the finale for part one of the final season of Better Call Saul. I'm like, what the F? So, you have to wait a while. Um, Stranger Things is also doing two parts. So that I did. Now, that all comes out at once, of course, because it's Netflix. And so their the, the, the second part comes out like a month and a half after this It's one. Yeah, it's May 27th for the first part, and then July 1st for the second part for Stranger Things. So you'll watch the first part next weekend, and then you'll wait a month for the second part. They did that with Ozark, too. So yeah. It's what it is. Which I just finished the other day. By the way, mm. it's shame you didn't finish it in time to have the chat with Jeremy and I. Yeah, shame I, you didn't I, I had to force the wife. I was like, we're the only ones that haven't yep. finished it. Yep, there's gotta, no savoring left. Gotta get on that. I still have a theory. I still have a theory that there's got to be a spinoff coming because there is one plot hole that is far too significant. Far too significant. You'll have to tell me that off the air. Maybe, or you could go back and listen to what Jeremy and I said on uh, on the show on Monday. You're, you're you go right back I and listen to that, that segment. All right, uh, Griffin, Brian Powell wants to know, you know what? No, I'm going to save it for Monday, Brian. There is a test that I like to give everybody when they uh, take over this role, and we will save it for Monday's show. Just, Brian, remind me. Remind me on Monday that we'll give Griffin that test. All right, uh, of course, the bat around tomorrow, and, um, and every Saturday, 
moving forward, you'll have Paul and Zach still in your lives. Actually, Zach's going to be helping us out because Griffin decided he would take this job and then leave for a couple of weeks immediately afterwards. Yeah. As soon as as soon as you said, told yeah. me I got it, I was like, yeah, yeah I'm also not going to be out. Here, so. Deuces. Um, but uh, but uh, Zach will be helping us out while Griffin's gone. All right. Uh, thanks today to Donna Brothers. Thanks also to uh, Greg Rosenthal, as well as to Pete Mishu. We'll get all that up in the greatest hits section of the archives. Tab at glennclarkradio.com. We'll have to decide if, how we have you say archives, because Kyle did it like a pirate. Paul struggled with the pirates, so we settled into mariachi band. We got to figure out the way that we have you. I want you to practice something. I want you over the weekend to think about how it is that you're going to say archives. All right. So we've had pirate. We've had mariachi band. Need to come up with something new and compelling. The way that you say archives moving forward. All right. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners: Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms. The Baltimore Police, Great Eights Memorabilia, FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. The Baltimore Orioles, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Paul at Paul Valley the Third on uh, Twitter is how you'll continue to follow him. Thanks to Ryan at Rexpex Ryan. Griffin, what are you on Twitter for people that want to follow you? Uh, Griffin underscore Bass. Griffin doesn't really do much with it. There's not a lot of tweeting going on for Griffin. He's I'll, not. I'll, I'll retweet like a dodgeball tweet, probably. That's about what you're getting. He's not flipping out about Orioles games or anything along those lines. We gotta maybe come up. We gotta build your brand okay. a little I bit. I do it Griffin. in my head. I guess I should start doing. Maybe, it maybe. I mean, don't go crazy. Yeah, I go nuts. Every now and then, I'd have to rein Paul in a little bit. I, w- I would never say don't stop. I would just say, eh, I kind of disagree with that one. I, s- I saw. In fact, I think you've learned. Mm-hmm. I noticed your tweet yesterday. I think that maybe you've... Right, you've I said, well, I'll leave that I'll one leave alone. I'll leave that one alone. Exactly right. I'm not. Again, you can say whatever you want to say. You can say whatever you want to say. I'm never going to tell you you can't. Just think about you it. You don't want to alienate people that you might want to talk exactly to later. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right. Um, thanks to... Did I say Ryan? At Rexpex Ryan. Thanks to him as mm-hmm. always. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. Go Maryland lacrosse. Go Birds. Go, I think that's all that matters this weekend. The Maryland women won yesterday. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks too.